Welcome to the Republican Professor. This afternoon, we have a very special guest, Maverick Stevenson. Thanks for being here, Maverick. Uh, no problem. Maverick and I met in an interesting way. Um, he has the distinct honor of being, maybe it's a dishonor, I don't know, but we'll, we'll find out of being the first guest that I've just walked up to in public uh, at one point and asked him if he would be on the podcast. The story is that I was up at Neptune's Net off of PCH and uh, Malibu in Malibu. I happened to see that he had a leather jacket on and he was riding a, I think it was a Harley or something, but he... That's correct. It was like this this uh leather jacket that said something about the second amendment and i said you know i'm gonna ask a guy if he wants to be on my podcast so i i um just walked up to him <laughs> what did you think when i walked up to you well you know a few people tend to walk up to me when uh when i'm hanging out with my motorcycle they either want to talk about the vest or they want to talk to me just uh, i think i'm I'm kind of a friendly person, so people can tell yeah. that they tend to kind of walk up and talk. So, yeah, it didn't bother me that you walked up, and especially if you want to talk about the Second Amendment, I'm all over that. Yeah. Well, uh, Maverick, I think at that point you said, well, we exchanged information right there, and um, and I just thought, you know, you you had said to me at that point, you said, I am, I think, how did you say it? I'm the biggest Second Amendment supporter there is or something like that. You said it really emphatically. <laughs> that or a proponent. I think I said the biggest proponent of the Second Amendment, but yeah, supporter, proponent. I mean, yeah. the words are kind of interchangeable. I'm all over. I'm a big supporter of the Second Amendment, the biggest. Yeah. And then you said, I'm an attorney as well. And so I was like, oh, wow, this is just getting better and better. Uh, an attorney who rides a motorcycle and loves the second amendment on PCH in Malibu. God bless you. <laughs> Thank you very much. I think uh, in addition to that, I actually opened up that leather jacket and let you see inside that I wasn't joking about it. I was carrying my firearm. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, and you have a concealed carry permit for that too in Los Angeles. That County. is correct. That's interesting. That is correct. I was like, yes, I have it, uh, you're the one. You're the one in Los Angeles County that has one of those. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, the one. Yeah, yeah, you're the one. Um, so, tell us. Uh, I don't know where to start. Um, did you grow up around uh, firearms? Did you did you come to it later? Did you come to appreciate the Second Amendment later? What's your story behind that? Well, I did grow up with firearms, um, mostly rifles and shotguns with my father. Uh, he was a hunter. He would hunt for uh, rabbits, actually, even with my grandfather on my on my mother's side. So my grandfather, on my mother's side would hunt for rabbits, quail, things like that. Uh, my father also hunted for duck. Uh, in my 20s, I went hunting, hunting a few times for deer, but... The majority of the time we went bow hunting, but I did go out a uh, shotgun, I think was the early part of the season. And then rifle was right there in the middle. I think bow was at the end. Hmm. Did you grow up? In I was Colorado? also in the military. Oh, no, no. I grew up in Seattle, Washington. Ah, 
Okay. Yeah. And I did in a few the, years in the, the military. City? I was in the city. No. So have you been to Seattle? Yeah, I have. Did you fly? Yeah. Okay. Right when you landed at SeaTac Airport, you were in the middle of my neighborhood. I'm from what is now called SeaTac, Washington. Oh, wow. Yeah, at the time it was unincorporated King County. So it, our addresses were Seattle 98188. So I still say I'm from Seattle, but you know, that was my address, but it was really it was unincorporated county land. Was it a rural area? Uh not so much rural right there where I live, but if you go down the hill from there into the Kent Valley, uh, there's plenty of farmland right there. And you said you grew up hunting uh, and f- did you say fishing? I don't know if you said fishing. That's or... correct. Okay. Yes. Hunting and fishing. So it was kind of in your blood to say, so to speak, <laughs> there's a lot of nice areas I... up there in Washington. I know that there's a, a lot of nice areas up there. My father would take me out to Nia Bay or, or Westport, any of those places for you know, going out on the ocean. He had friends with boats. We always had a boat, at least a small boat at the house. I grew up uh, on a lake called Angle Lake, and I would go out trout fishing out there from the, the dock, or you know, we'd take the boat out, try to get some bass. I don't know if we ever got bass out of that particular lake, but yeah, I went fishing with my dad a lot as a kid. Uh, what, what do you, what'd you say the earliest, uh, memory you have is with a firearm? Was it pretty young? It was. And, uh, this is really irresponsible, uh, but I mean, you want the truth. My, you know, back in the day, you didn't have to really lock up your firearms or your, or your ammunition. It wasn't a law. It wasn't a requirement. And I remember taking out some of my dad's ammunition and setting it on a two by four in the backyard toward the, you know, we had a berm of dirt back there and I would shoot the back of the bullets with my BB gun and make them go pow. So oh my gosh. that's my earliest memory of, yeah. I mean, there's, wow. I got in some trouble for that. Not that it ever went to where it could have hit anyone in front of me, but my father was like, you don't know where that bullet's going to go when you shoot it with the, the BB gun on the back wow. of it. So yeah, it was wow. kind of dumb, but I was a little wow. kid. You know, I was how old were you? 11, 12 years old, 11, 12. maybe 11 or 12. Wow. Do you remember what kind of BB gun did you, that you had? I did. It was a daisy. It was a, uh, the pump. You could pump it up to 10 times and it uh, uh-huh. shot BBs or pellets. Oh yeah. Yeah. I had a 66 power master, uh, a crossman, man. I love that thing. I had a lot of fun with that now thing that- in the backyard. What's that? It was that uh, that was that uh, CO two operated? No, it was pump. Oh, okay. Pump, yeah. You had to pump it quite a bit to get the BB to to do any you know serious damage to like a a rat or something like that. And we used to I used to right. shoot mice and rats and stuff like that. Mainly mice. We didn't have a lot of rats that I could tell. But I grew up in Colorado. Okay. Now, okay. So what oh, about okay. uh, what about using this using firearms for self-defense how did that get on your radar when was that the first when's the first time you thought thought about that let me see i mean obviously in the military i used firearms Mm -hmm. uh you know 
M16. I was the, what's that? M16. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. The M16 rifle, you know, that was standard issue. I was an M60 gunner when I was in the Fort, uh, in Fort Riley, Kansas, and the uh, Big Red One, the first infantry division. I was a 50 cal gunner when I was at Fort Lewis. Uh, let's see, M203 grenade launcher. Pretty much fired everything, including the pistol range, but I only went to the pistol range once. Uh, the pistols were not standard issue. Uh, the officers used pistols. A friend of mine was the driver for the captain and asked me if I wanted to go to the pistol range because they had an extra seat. So I went out to a pistol range. I think that was the first pistol. It was a 45. That was the first mm -hmm. pistol that I ever fired. Uh, I did have a few pistols in my 20s. Uh, you know, nothing much. I mean, I think if I remember right, I don't think that Washington state was always open carry. Washington state is open carry now. And when I back in Washington state, I do open carry. I would say for self-defense, I've carried openly in uh, Arizona, probably the last eight or 10 years. Anytime I go to Arizona. So until having a CCW in California, I've, you know, transported a weapon legally across into Arizona, meaning, you know, a hard shelled case, lock, ammunition separate, all of that. Then when I get to Arizona, you know, carry it on my hip or, you know, you, know, you can carry concealed too in Arizona as long as you're 21 and over. So I've carried concealed and openly in uh, Arizona. I've open carried in Washington state prior to getting my CPL in Washington. Now I have the option of uh, carrying open or concealed in Washington state. Uh, the biggest reason that I got the CPL, the con concealed pistol license in Washington state was even though it's open carry, the, the law is a little bit funny in Washington. You cannot get into a vehicle with an, you know, open carrying a weapon or in my case, getting onto a motorcycle uh, there's some other things like a ferry, things like that, the, the ferry that goes across the sound. You can't do any of those things with a loaded weapon unless you have the concealed carry license. So I was constantly having to take the magazine out, take the round in the chamber out to get onto my motorcycle, for instance, riding around then with uh, the weapon on my hip, but no magazine in it and unloaded. So I did get my CPL for Washington State just so I wouldn't have to unload the weapon just to get on and off my motorcycle. Sounds like you're very concerned about following the law. That's a, that's a high priority for you. It is, especially because I'm an attorney. You know, <laughs> I have an obligation to, to follow the law and, uh, and to know what the laws are. I, I make sure that I know what the laws are in each state before I get there because I travel a lot. Uh, for instance, last summer, I went on a trip from Washington to Oregon. That was in the summer, right before Sturgis. I went to Oregon to apply for my concealed carry. I think it's a CHL, concealed handgun license in Oregon State. Came back to Washington State. I was able to ride with my weapon on my hip, open carry, from Washington to Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, 
South Dakota, back to Wyoming, to Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Nevada, until I got back to the state line of California and I had to take the pistol off my hip, unload it, lock it up separately from the ammunition. So, you know, I like to make sure that if I'm going to travel, that I know what the laws are, because if you run afoul of the laws, you know, you're going to be in trouble if you get caught. And right. uh, I don't need a misdemeanor or a felony for that matter. If I get a felony, I'm never, never going to be an attorney again. That's, that's the end of my career. Hmm. And, uh, you know, you just don't want to end up even in a situation where you run into a police officer, you've got some problem. I mean, let's be honest. I'm an African-American male. You know, if I've got a gun on me, a firearm, and there's some question about what's going on and why I have that firearm, I'm taking a chance of getting shot. We all are. But I think, uh, I mean, we can't say that race doesn't play a card in that uh, part in that. Right. Do you prefer the term African-American to black? You know, I really don't. Okay. I don't prefer one or the other, you know, black, brown, African-American. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, my, my heritage is, I usually do say either black or African-American, either one on that one, then I'm Shawnee Indian and Irish. So, I mean, <laughs> pick one. Wow. Okay. Well, let me describe you briefly uh, for those who cannot see you on YouTube. Um, uh, this is uh, going to be audio as well. Um, you have a gray beard. <laughs> I do. And you, it's you completely are, gray. you have the appearance, uh, you you do not look old though. To me, you look, oh, you have thanks. a very young face, a uh, bright smile, and you look to me, you look very young and energetic. You have a Richard gear kind of a thing going on with the beard, gray beard doesn't match how old you look, but you do have that appearance of wisdom to me. And well, thank uh, you. yeah, absolutely. That's what I thought when, it, when I walked up to you and I thought this is a very um, thoughtful person. And um, I, it, 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 tell us how did you um well actually let's let's try let's talk about race a little bit um that that uh that issue of traveling with the gun um does it make you feel safer like if it's if it's loaded and it's ready for self-defense yes I can't even imagine carrying a firearm that's not loaded with one in the chamber. I, there are just, okay, let's put it like this. I go through a lot of trainings about this particular thing. I'm a member of the United States Concealed Carry Association, USCCA. And I would, you know, I'm not getting paid to say it, but I will tell anyone, if you're going to carry a firearm, you need to have some type of insurance or something in case you do have to use that weapon in self-defense, you know, whether it be legal shield or USCCA, whomever, I think most of them will cover up to a million or $2 million of your, your legal fees. If you have to use your weapon in a justified self-defense, uh, I didn't carry with one in the chamber when I first started carrying a firearm, which was, about three years ago that I started carrying a firearm consistently all the time. And, and I, when I mean all the time, I carry a 
firearm pretty much 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. When I fly, I put my firearm in a hard shell case. You know, I declare it. I fly it to my location. If it's an open carry uh, situation, when I get to that state, I take it out as soon as I get out out of the airport and I put it right on my hip. If it's concealed carrier, I have a license for that state or reciprocity from one of my licenses. It goes inside on my shoulder harness or or a concealed carry inner or outer waistband. Uh, when I started carrying a firearm, I thought to myself, there's no chance of it being negligently discharged if I don't have one in the chamber. Right. And through training, I've come to realize that in a situation where you need that firearm to protect right. your life or the life of another, you're going to lose your fine motor skills. You know, that's just a foregone conclusion. You don't need to be in a situation where you're having to rack that firearm to, to load it in that situation. You need to be ready to use it. So, yes, to answer your question specifically, I do feel safer having a firearm that is loaded. And by loaded, I mean with one in the chamber. Yeah, that is the point of having it, the legal point of having it anyway. Um, sure. I mean, and- if, if you don't have one in the chamber and you're not ready to go, I mean, it's basically like having, a, it's, it's, it's a hammer. You yeah. can hit someone with it, but what's that going to do at 35 feet away? You know? Well, that's how the police carry it. <laughs> that's how they carried without one in the chamber. No, no. They carry it with one in the chamber. Oh, sure. Sure. There that's, you go. That's how it's meant to be carried. Yeah. Uh, same in the military. Um, you know, I mean, sure. you were in the army. Did you say army? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Thank you for your service. Thank you. I appreciate that. I never get tired of hearing that. Yeah, (laughs) I actually don't either. I was in the Navy for seven years. Okay. Well, thank you for your service. (laughs) You're welcome. Um, yeah, I, we were at downtown Disney. I'm not allowed to say my wife's name on this, but we were at downtown Disney yesterday and, um, we, um, we uh we're going they're now charging ten dollars for just even validated parking no matter how long you're there it was, oh wow it's ridiculous it used to be free just like three years ago it was free but um yeah. but uh so the guy you know put the the ticket in and it was ten dollars and and i said well um <laughs> do you have a military discount still I have the veteran discount he, and he said Oh no, we don't have that. Uh, he said, but you're a military veteran. And I said, yeah. And he goes, I'm not going to charge you for that. (laughs) That's great. It was awesome. That is great. Yeah. So how long were you in the army? I was in the army about three years. That's enough. Now that's enough. Well, you, when you, uh, you said that about three years ago, you started carrying one pretty much every day. Was it a something, was it a specific event that uh led you to want to start doing that or was it was it just new thoughts that you were having new new connections you were making with something some oh i have got a long story to tell you that i will shorten down as short as i can okay so i was wrongly convicted of a crime in 1990 
uh, was a domestic violence, simple assault, or assault for simple assault, I think is what they called it. And just is, I don't even know how much I could shorten this down. I don't even have time for the whole story. Okay. Either way. No, I, I mean, uh, I, I'm fine time-wise on my end. Don't worry about my side. Oh, but good. If, if you have okay. something. Don't oh, I've got, I've got some yeah. time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just sorry. I'm late we're, logging we're, in here with you, but I've got time. That's all right. We're okay. interested so in your the, story. Yeah. Okay. So the, the short version is this. Uh, I had locked my now ex-wife out of the house. She, you know, I was working uh, graveyard when I got out of the military for a, a company doing uh, security. And I was working 11 to seven. I came home at eight o'clock or so in the morning and she was sleeping on the couch. We had been having an argument the night before. She kind of wanted to continue that argument. I ended up locking her out of the house just so I could get some sleep. We're 20 years old, 20, I think we might've been 21 by then, whatever. Either way, she called the police because she's in her socks and her sweats. What, what and, uh, state not was because this I'm in? beating her. Uh, state? Washington State. Washington State. Washington. Okay. Was, it, was it cold? Yeah. Was she cold oh, out there? Probably. probably. I, okay. You know, I wasn't even thinking about that to tell you. I mean, it was January. So, yeah, you know, I'm okay. sure it was cold. Right. Um, what I didn't want was this situation to escalate to some kind of physical altercation because she kept waking me up, you know, out of a dead sleep. I was super tired. I was like, look, just let me sleep. We can finish whatever you want to talk about later. And uh, so I did. I locked her out. She called the police. The police came. And uh, back then, if the police came for a uh, domestic violence call or anything like that, uh, somebody was going to jail. Hmm. Well, the police got there from her call again from being locked out of the house. You know, nothing more. I saw a tiny scratch, and I mean tiny, like maybe an eighth of an inch or so, a little scratch on her arm. The police officer asked her, uh, did your husband do that? She goes, no, that I'm not calling you about my husband do, you know, hurting me. He just locked me out of the house. And, you know, they pounded on the door, and I came out. And, uh, they had me turn around, put my hands behind my back, and they arrested me. Wow. So I think I was 20. Yeah, that was 20. So it was July yeah, or January. Anyway, um, so now I've got this, this charge for domestic violence. Well, I didn't go to court for it. That was really stupid. And I just blew it off. I'm like, I'm not going to court for beating up my wife because I wasn't beating up my wife. Went up to Canada like I used to you know, do sometimes with a buddy of mine. And uh, we came back across the border about nine o'clock in the morning on a, a Saturday morning. The uh, border person asked, you know, for both of our IDs. And I said, why? I'm a passenger. And he said, there had been reports of people causing problems to fit our description, whatever. So I gave him my ID. He has us pull over into the inspection area. I ended up on a chain gang. I got locked up at the border. They sent my friend away. They uh, patted me down. Uh, you know, in the army, I had uh, gone through all my requirements and just been accepted into the Ranger Battalion. So I had my little Ranger coin in the my wallet. They asked me if I'd caused any problems while I was uh, in Canada. I said, no. And uh, they didn't even tell me what I was being arrested for because it was a bench warrant. They didn't have to. Right. So it was a bench warrant for missing that court date. So I think it was Skagit County uh, Sheriff came and picked me up from that detention center, moved me down. Then Snohomish County came and picked me up a couple of days later. Uh, either way, I served on a chain gang all the way back to King County uh, without even knowing what I was being arrested for. My wife came to court 
testified on my behalf that no, I wasn't beating her up, that this was a big mistake. Uh, there was an overzealous prosecutor that uh, told the judge, look, your honor, a lot of wives, victims, you know, come to uh, court and stand up for their, their, um, what do they say? Not their beaters. Their, I don't know what they were. They said the, right. the, uh, the person abusers. that's been beating them or what have you. Mm-hmm. Abusers. That's what it was. Yeah. Right. right. Um, stand up for their abusers. So why don't you find him guilty? And if he doesn't have any similar instances on in the next year, then uh, you can, t- you know, in probation, then we'll dismiss this. Well, there were no further instances because I wasn't beating her up to begin with. I really thought that was completely off of my record until 2009. Mm-hmm. In 2009, and I had owned a firearm in between there. I had bought a shotgun when I lived in Nevada. Uh, had an M16 or AR-15, excuse me. Uh, had no idea that this was still on my record. Went to get a job doing the census in 2009. Did you say it was a misdemeanor or a felony? Sorry. Did you say it was a misdemeanor? Uh, or it was a misdemeanor. Okay. It was a misdemeanor. But because it was DV, well, I'll get to that. I'll get to right, that. Right, 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 right. So, yeah, that's a federal thing, uh, federal question. Yeah. What's that? Well, the uh, the issue of a misdemeanor, it's a federal question on the ATF form, I think. Oh, uh, sure, sure. Whatever it is, whichever. I forget which form number it is. It's the one you fill out when you buy a new gun in California yeah. or, or a used one. And I don't know what I must have filled out to buy the Mossberg shotgun in Nevada, but I remember going in, buying a new shotgun in Nevada. I filled out everything truthfully. So, and again, to the best of my knowledge, that case had been dismissed. So I don't know if it just didn't come up or what have you, but now fast forward again, uh, 2009, I'm signing up for this job with the Census Bureau for the 2010 census. And I get denied the job. And uh, they said, because of my background check. I, I, I didn't have anything that I knew of on my background check. Come to find out that case from 1990 was still on my record. Hmm. So I went, I think in 2011, I went to Washington State, went to court, got the paperwork, and I got that uh, vacated. Uh, it was a, a motion to vacate. I did all the paperwork myself. I was self-represented. I wasn't an attorney yet, but I was in pre-law. But uh, the judge looked at the, the, the case file and really apologized to me. He said, I am sorry that you've had this on your record for, I don't remember, I think it would have been 20 some odd years at that point. Uh, he says, I can tell from the picture of this tiny scratch that you weren't beating up your wife. And I said, well, I tried to tell them that at the time. And he said, you know, your paperwork is very well put together, better than some lawyers that I see here. I said, well, I'm actually going to be a lawyer. And he told me, you know, good luck with all that. So now here I am. I'm a lawyer. Either way, about three years ago, okay, fast forward to what was this? This is 20, must have been 2018, almost four years ago now, December. uh, (laughs) I went in to go buy a firearm in California. And the background check came back and said uh, I had to do the more extensive, the secondary background check. Uh, There was something that came up with my name. Well, my name is very unique. I'm the only person in the world with my name. I've I've Googled that. (laughs) There's no one else with my name. So if there was some problem with my name or something, it had to be me. 
Hmm. So I did the secondary background check for the DOJ for California. And then, I don't know, two, three months later, it comes back that everything's clear, that they don't find anything. Well, now I go back to pick up the firearm and, you know, your initial background check in California is only valid for 30 days. Right. So because I had to do the secondary and it took two or three months, now I needed to go back and do the initial one again. So I did the initial background check again, again, delayed. They can't release the firearm. And again, I have to do the secondary, you know, uh, background check. This goes on a series of three times back and forth. So six background checks still could not pick up my firearm. How many months? So I just, and at this point, I'm a lawyer trying to figure all this stuff out. Right. And thankfully, because I was doing so. Was this about six months? No, 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 no. This is a, this is almost two years total at this point of waiting for a firearm to be released, waiting for a firearm. I kid you not. I got all the paperwork. I'll show you. I couldn't believe it. My goodness. Okay. So now check this out. I end up going to Washington state and I'm thinking maybe because I broke a window out of a teacher's car when I was 17, but I got arrested for it when I came back in basic training after basic training when I was 18. So I thought, okay, maybe it's this malicious mischief charge, you know, from me when I was a kid, but you know, I got arrested at 18. So it's on my adult record. I'm thinking maybe that's what it is. Were you convicted Wasn't that? of that? Were you convicted? I was. Okay. I was convicted of malicious mischief. Yes. Okay. Uh, did my restitution, paid for the window, blah, blah, blah. You know, thought this was way behind me, but I thought maybe this is what's stopping me from getting a firearm. Mm-hmm. No. So it turns out, uh, I'm trying to shorten this down as much as I can because there was all these back and forth the paperwork. The state of Washington was actually very helpful. I talked to a woman at the uh, Washington State Patrol, which is like the CHP, but for for Washington. Uh, She was in a records department. She asked me about the third time I was sending this paperwork through. She said, well, did you ever have a domestic violence charge or anything? I said, oh, yeah. It's a long, long time ago. And I told her the story. I said, you know, I was wrongly convicted of this. It got taken off my record in 2011. She said, that's the problem. When you were convicted of domestic violence, there's a check mark that uh, on the thing that removes your firearm rights. And so I had to go through, you know, getting my background check from the uh, FBI again, yada, yada, yada. And finally got it fixed. It was a a petition to restore my firearm rights in Washington state to remove the check from that checkbox. I got that done. So I guess I think maybe I started five years ago because I've been carrying this weapon now, I think for three. So finally went in and there was no problem. I passed the background check the next time. Actually, that was number six. Wait, one, two, three, four. That was number seven. The seventh time I actually was able to pick up the firearm and I just couldn't believe it. And uh, now I haven't stopped buying firearms. Yeah, I've got a a whole arsenal now. Now that I'm legal to, to do it and nobody's stopping me, you know, it's only a matter of how much money do I want to spend on firearms and ammunition now. That's an incredible story. Uh, can I ask you just about the emotions of it? How, how are you processing the emotions of it? Were, were, are you just a chipper, positive guy? Or, you know, were, was this 
on the other hand, was it devastating to you? I mean, somewhere in between How, what were, well, what's your emotional state at this point? How patient well, are you so Maverick? <laughs> I'm very patient. And I think that's what really helped me out is, you know, especially as an attorney, I've found that, you know, we all know you, you get more with honey than you do with vinegar, you know? Mm. So for me, quote. whether I'm dealing with opposing counsel or whomever, I try to keep a good, even keel and keep my bearing about myself because people are not going to help you if you start off by lashing out at them. Hmm. And so I've been very patient. I've been very uh, congenial about it with each person I've had to talk to the tone of my letters. I double check, make sure that I'm not going off. And, you know, people have been very helpful along the way, but I was just really confused. I'm like, why can't I have a firearm? when I haven't done anything to remove my right to have a firearm, you know, so that kind of plays into now to answer your question more about the second amendment. Yeah. So right. I think a lot of people are confused about the second amendment. Mm -hmm. So being an attorney, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to clarify that a little bit, the state of the second amendment in the United States, and I don't quote me on this, but I think it's the Heller case. The Heller case is the law of the land right now. The Supreme Court of the United States has interpreted the Second Amendment to, and I'm paraphrasing here, to give you the right to own a firearm and have it at home. Okay. Yeah. For self-defense. Yeah. For self-defense. And ready, no, ready to go because the Heller, decision, because the Heller right. defense was, uh, the, the Heller case was about, I think it was a police officer. Dick Heller was the plaintiff and he was a, he, he wanted to have a pistol in his house ready to go. They said, no, you can't have that. First of all, you can't have it in your house because it's got to be registered and you can't register it. The second thing is the law, the long gun requirement. They had to be disabled. Yeah, it's crazy. So as of the Heller, and I, and I don't remember what year that was. Is that like 88, 89? No, that was like that? 2008. It was 2008, 2008. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, the Heller issue now is that, or the ruling, yeah, we have the right by the Second Amendment to have that weapon ready to go at our home, self-defense. Right. You know, and I always hear people who are, well, I won't say all people, but I hear often enough people, well, it's my second amendment, right? It's my second amendment, right? Well, your second amendment, right? Is not just that you get to walk around with it. Sorry. That's right. just not how it's been ruled by the sec by the Supreme court, you know, uh, as of current law, which hopefully will be changing based on this newest case that's going through the Supreme court right now, but current law, is that the states have the ability to license or not for you to conceal right. and decide by law whether or not you can open carry. Right. So I think at this point, we're at about half the states are uh, allowing people to carry a weapon without even a permit. I think we're at about 23, 24, or 25 states right now, last I counted. And... A lot of states are constitutional carry, it's called, you know, by lack of right. a better term. And right. just say, hey, you know, that's your 
constitutional right and we're just going to let you carry it right some states are like no you're going to get a permit and some required training with that permit or other states get a permit but no required training i mean it's all over the place as far as the laws right now in the united states because we've got what 52 sets of laws you've got all 50 states you've got the district of columbia and you've got federal law you know and while we're touching on that i mean federal law does allow you to transport your weapon across state lines you know obviously following the laws in each of those states you probably have to have it in your trunk if you're driving a car and locked up you can't have it mostly usually not in a glove compartment or something like that you know but uh, uh obviously you're i'm sure you're aware that there's a case that was heard november 3rd in the supreme court and that ruling should be coming out any day now between now and i would hope june 30th uh, right On the i believe carry, yeah which, yeah, you know, I believe that, that it's going to end up being open carry. I think that the Supreme Court is going to come back with a ruling on this Second Amendment case that everyone in the United States, unless you were barred by something like you're a felon or something like that, you know, I think that you're going to be able to carry. I think we all are going to be able to carry weapons, open carry everywhere. And I agree with that. 100%. First off, let me just make that clear. I do think that people need some training with weapons. You know, obviously, you were in the military, I was in the military. I mean, even myself, like I said, I fired a pistol one time in the military. One day, I should say, I probably fired 20 rounds, but that was the max. That, that was it yeah. for a pistol. So everything I learned about pistols, I learned outside of the military. So if even I didn't learn that in the military, I know that people who did not serve in the military and have no background, if they have no background in firearms, they need some kind of training. Yes. We shouldn't have a bunch of people walking around with guns that don't know how to use them. Do you think that there should be a federal standard for everybody or should there be state by state standards? Well, you know what? For what? Actually, right now it's county by county. Yeah, right. Yeah, in right. California, it's county by county. Yeah, that's right. You know, I think it's what's the law in California? If you have a county that's less than 200,000 population, uh, it's, it can be approved by the sheriff to open carry, correct? In that county. Uh, that very well may be. I don't know. Uh, that sounds right. So. Um, yeah, that's that. But I haven't found many counties in California that are less than 200,000 in population. Right. And it only works for that county. Your sheriff can allow you to open carry in that county only. Gotcha. You know, and can then, you yes. Yeah, describe for us uh, what the uh, the issue is with uh, concealed carry permits here in California for those who don't know. I mean, you've been through the process in, in Los Angeles County. It's, I have. it's notorious for... Um, for anyone uh well unless i guess you're really famous or something but even then i mean i don't know it's kind of mysterious how people get it in la county i know that they're well, starting to soften soften up a little bit at least the sheriff is but how did you get yours well let me back up so okay. i i usually tell people and i don't know that this is 100 percent true i'm just i may be exaggerating a little bit but i've always said that in my opinion Mm -hmm. 
you know, that you apply for concealed carry in Los Angeles County was pretty much a rubber stamp that said, no, 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 right, no, right, right. You know, that's, that's just, that's been my opinion. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. I said, I don't know how true that is, but it's my opinion. Uh, my understanding is that Sheriff Villanueva, and I think it was last year, February, created a task force to actually review applications. I don't know if they were being reviewed prior to that or not, but I have reason to believe they are actually being at least reviewed now. Yeah. And my understanding is that more concealed carry permits are being issued in Los Angeles County. Uh, I also understand that through my research, personal research, that if you live in Redondo Beach or in Torrance, you have a choice of applying through your chief of police or applying through L.A. County, because obviously Redondo Beach and Torrance are still in L.A. County, but you can go and apply through your chief of police at your police department in those two cities. I think there's a third city too, but I don't remember which one that is. Uh, if you go through uh, Redondo Beach, that's where I live. If you go through Redondo Beach, you do have an, an extra requirement of a psych eval. And the psych eval is... Uh, administered by the same, I believe she's a psychologist, that the police department uses for their own hiring process. And I think that's because California law requires that, that if they're going to have applicants for CCW uh, be evaluated by a psychologist, it needs to be the same one that that same police department uses for their hiring process. Interesting. Uh, it will take a person uh, probably about five and a half to six months to be approved for a, a concealed carry. I believe that everyone should apply, but that's just my own, you know, that's my opinion. You know, I think that the more law abiding, responsible gun owners have a concealed carry or until such time as we can all open carry, I believe that that will reduce crime. I believe that the bad guys would not be so quick to be bad guys and commit crimes if everybody had a weapon, a firearm. So, you know, I've, I've said for years and years and years, even before I carried that, you know, a bad guy walks into a bank says stick them up and give me the money and all you hear is click 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 and slides going back and safety's coming off you're not robbing that bank sorry about your luck right was there a uh was there a specific did you always want to carry a, a gun for self-defense oh. and just recently were legally allowed to or were was it uh a new belief that you had that you you, you, know, got you actually touched on that question earlier. Sorry, I meant to answer that. Uh, oh, that's all right. So there was a case I had, family law case, must have been about four years ago, I think. Maybe four and a half years ago. And opposing counsel on that matter uh, 
we, I don't remember how we even got on the conversation, but we started talking about firearms and maybe because I was going through that process when I was, you know, applying, you know, going through the background checks to get my firearm. Cause I was talking about it quite a bit with anybody that would listen, just the problems I was going through. And we were on some kind of break. We were sitting there at the court and he said, well, I've got a concealed carry permit. He said, I do family law like you do. He said, you do family law and you do criminal law. He said, was, there's was this no in LA County that he has. Uh, we were in, no, we were in orange County, orange County okay. we, at the time. This case was in orange County. And, uh, I think we were actually, might've been a Newport beach courthouse. I don't recall. We were at one of those courthouses down in Orange County. I know for a fact it was in Orange County. Uh, anyway, the uh, he said that's that's just it's crazy for you to not be carrying a firearm in our line of work, doing family law and doing criminal law. And I thought about it, and I thought he's right. Hmm. You know, I end up in situations from time to time where my life could be put in danger whether it be the spouse about to be ex-spouse of the person I'm representing or a criminal case where I didn't get the defendant off, which is rare. I actually, I have almost an, almost a perfect track record for wow. my criminal defense. Hey, thank you. And my civil lawsuits. I think I've only lost two cases. No, three. I've lost three cases ever out of how in many? my career. Oh, 180, 200, something like that. Wow. So, That's yeah, I, I don't lose cases. Uh, a plus. Wow. And uh, I tell people <laughs> all the time, if you know, obviously I can't guarantee it, but if they come to me, they're probably going to win because that's what I do. Wow. But uh, what if I don't? You know, right, I, I had right. a situation where um, a woman got a hold of me. And she wanted me to meet her. I think it was in San Dimas. And I, I met her at this Jack in the box and she was going to give me this paperwork about this case and her boyfriend slash fiance, whatever it was, was, uh, was in prison. And she said uh, to me, as I was sitting down to talk to her, she said, do you know who this is that, that you're going to be representing? And I'm like, no. And, you know, and, uh, she said, well, he's tied in and affiliated with blah, 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 blah. And, uh, she said, in fact, we're being watched right now by some police agency or federal agency, ATF, whatever. She goes, they're outside because they follow me around all the time. And I realized at that time that this case is going to be a big deal. Hmm. And if I, and the, the person that she wanted me to represent was being tried for a murder that committed that was committed allegedly by him in the prison. And so he was going to get a lot more time, obviously, if he was convicted of that murder. And I thought to myself, huh, do I really want the ATF, whoever's out there in the car following me around all the time? Do I want, and she said the people that he was affiliated with, I'm not mentioning any names. She goes, they are always watching me too meaning her been watching her like, like I don't need people on both sides of this situation up my butt all the time, following right. me around. Right. I said, right. and what if I do my best yeah. and I don't get this guy off this murder charge and somebody takes offense to that <laughs> on his side, yep. you know, 
like next thing you know, I might catch a bullet just because they think I didn't work at it hard enough for, to- I totally whatever. get it. I totally yeah, get it. So I, you know, I didn't take that case, but it, you know, it's cases like that that make yeah. me think, Yeah. you know, you don't know when somebody's going to do something. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I just came from, I think I told you the reason we had to do this in the afternoon was I had an eye doctor appointment today. Right. So I have an eye doctor appointment regularly because I'm blind in my left eye. Oh. I'm blind in my left eye because around 1994, I was sitting in a bar with a buddy of mine and my at the time girlfriend, my buddy had either had, he had to have had a concealed carry for Washington because uh, he concealed carry all the time. And I know he wouldn't have done it if he didn't have a license. So he had his firearm and probably shouldn't, I don't know what the law was back then in 94, but I know now, at least in California, you're not supposed to have your firearm in a bar, but we were in a bar. Right, right. I know that he had his firearm on him. I remember that distinctively. And he was about 16 to 20 feet ahead of me. So I was sitting with my back to the door up on a banister that was about six feet high. I was sitting on the rail. My girlfriend at the time, she was sitting down on the actual seat uh, near this little fire pit thing. Uh, Like, I don't know, it had a chimney thing on it, but it was a a fire in the middle of the place, right? And uh, this neo-Nazi came in, skinhead swastikas the whole nine yards you know and uh you know called me every name in the book for a black guy except black guy wow <laughs> every derogatory thing you could think of and uh, i remember turning around because this guy is yelling at me you know screaming at me i'm saying all these racial slurs and stuff i turn around remember i'm sitting six feet up this comes to about here on this guy so he's a good six eight or so Whoa. big guy big wow. guy the, the and, nazi uh, guy Oh yeah. Yeah. And he, he meant business, whatever was on his mind. It it wasn't good. I figured that was going to escalate into something where my buddy was going to end up shooting him. And so I I made the biggest mistake of my life. I never said a word to this guy, by the way, I don't know him from Adam. I turned around, just turned my back to him to just ignore him thinking that was going to deescalate the situation. Well, one of the things he had said was something about, oh, why don't you leave the white woman alone? My, my girlfriend at the time was white. So I think that's what had set him off or whatever. He reached up and he pulled me off the banister and I went down backward and hit my head on the concrete floor on that side. That's how I lost my eyesight. So that's wow. why I was at the eye doctor today. But um, I remember when I was getting my concealed carry and they asked me, you know, you have to go through, there's a lot. You go through uh, filling out the application, which is easy. That's just whatever. But you also go through uh, talking to, for me, it was four police captains and uh, then the police chief finally. And, and you have to have a, uh, you have to have a good cause statement, right? And what did you use for cause. your good cause statement? You know, for me, it was self-defense and defense of others that I am a business owner. I own this law firm and I do practice, like I said, criminal law and family law. And like I just explained to you, the, the situations that I might run into, right. Uh, you know, precipitate me actually carrying a firearm on my body, because here's the thing. Hmm. When seconds count, the police are only minutes away. So I don't say that to knock the police. If you call 911, they're probably going to be there in three or four minutes, which is awesome. And they're going to hurry. They're going to hurry. They're going to hurry. They're hurrying. 
we depend on the police and we put so much on them. I'm not anti-police in any way, shape or form as far as what they do for Mm -hmm. their, for their job. I'm not going to say every police officer is good. I'm not going (laughs) to say that, that, that none have implicit biases or blah, 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 you know? Right. Uh, but as far as what we expect them to do in society, what their actual job is, we put yes. a lot on them. You know, they're not our and bodyguards. So, they're the concept of a bodyguard is not what the police are. They've never no. been designed that way. No. Rich people have bodyguards. Um, I'm not rich enough to have a bodyguard, but <laughs> I don't know if you are, but probably not because you carry your own gun. You're there you your go. Own, you are your own first responder. My first responder right here. Yeah. You know, and uh, I'm glad I, you mentioned that about the police, because that's a big yeah. deal to say that. Yeah. So, you know, if they're going to be there in three or four minutes, that's all well and good. And, and um, I commend them for that. Uh, that's enough time to bleed out. <laughs> yeah. In a situation where you need to defend your life, seconds count. Yeah. You know, the next five, 10, 15 seconds is what's probably going to determine if you live or die. Right. And two or three minutes is a long time after five, 10, 15 seconds. Yes, it is. You know, especially when your first encounter with the police or law enforcement is if it's after a crime has occurred, um, there's other things to consider which if you're in an emergency situation, those are the last things in the world you want to consider issues of evidence issues yeah. of, I mean, they don't know who the perpetrator of the crime is. I mean, you right. know, you, you, and, the and first like thing is what, what's the evidence what's going yeah. on, but you can't, you're not in a position to present evidence and, and, no, you're not. and collect evidence and make sure that's you have right. your testimony straight and all that. Yep. You know, and that's a couple of things from what you just said. So you said first encounter with police and that made me think of something. So I'm just under six foot tall, like a quarter of an inch or so been this height since I was 12 years old. And my first encounter with the police was I was standing outside my house and uh, and I grew up in a white neighborhood. My, my friend is white. I'm black. We're standing there. He's probably 14 and I'm 12 and a police officer pulled up in front of us. And I heard the talking on the radio and they're looking for a black male I think it said mid twenties or something like that. And I'm not even thinking anything of it. It's not me. I'm 12 years old, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, the cop gets out and says, uh, get in the car. I said, I'm not getting in your car. He says, get in the car. And he's got his hand on his gun. So like at this point I'm 12. I don't know what to do. I get in the car. I'd never been in a cop car in my life. He pulls about two houses up and pulls into the driveway The neighbor, the woman, white lady, she's, I don't know, mid-30s, 40, whatever, says, that's him. That's the guy that was raping my daughter. Oh, my gosh. I'm trying to get out now. I don't realize that that you can't get out. A witness show up? What's that? He had you get in the car so he could conduct a witness show up? Yeah. Wow. He pulls up. Well, I don't know if that's what he was meaning to do right off the bat, but that's how it ends up. And I, I didn't know you couldn't get out of a cop car. I didn't know there were no handles on the inside because I'd never been inside of a cop car. So what had happened was, back it up a little bit, we were all 
playing around goofing off, you know, neighbor girl, her daughter. Uh, I had been giving her Chinese torture, you know, where you tap them on the on the chest like this, right? When her mom had pulled up. And that's all that was going on. There was no, you know, rape or molestation or anything like that. It wasn't even on her uh, breast. It was on her chest plate. It's right in the middle. That's how you, you know, you ever heard of that game? Uh, just now, but it oh, doesn't sound okay. like it's a uh, criminal activity to me. No, exactly. Exactly. It, it, it wasn't anything like that, but anyway, right. um, so as he's driving off now with me, I'm like, I'm shouting at this guy. I'm like, Hey, my dad's going to get you and blah, 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 blah. And he had enough of my lip. He, and I'm yelling at, you know, I'm yelling for my friend to go get my dad. Cause he's pulling me out of the car. I'm yelling like, Mike, Mike, get my dad. This cop throws me on the back of the car, like slams me down and handcuffs me. Well, now my dad comes out, all the neighbors are coming out, you know, and I had never done anything wrong in my life as far as, you know, anything that, with police activity. And uh, right. that was a big, big deal. I remember the chief of police came to our house that night mm -hmm. and uh, was sitting there with my parents and I apologizing for the actions of his officer. So, so yeah, I got beat up at 12 encounter. years old. Did you, that was my first encounter. With how police. did that shape your, your, well, or did it, did it shape your perception of the police for your whole life? Hmm. I mean, it's hard to forget that. It is hard to forget that. Um, I don't think you should forget it. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I should either. Uh, how should I put this? Hmm. I don't let it color for a lack of a better word. I don't let it color every right time that I run into a police officer. Yeah. Makes sense. You know, that sounds like uh, a very mature thing. Yeah. I mean, if I walked around the chip on my shoulder over getting beat up by that first police officer that I ever ran into, I think I'd be in a lot different position right now because the times I have been pulled over or had encounters yeah. with police in my life after that, I generally have stayed calm, followed their instructions. You know, uh, you don't fight your speeding ticket on the side of the road. You fight it in court. Hmm. Yes. You know? Yeah. You know, yeah. that that's my advice to anybody. It's uh, you have an in. They have you know, tremendous uh, power, a police they, officer. They do. And, and I'm sure you feel that from that experience in your body in at a cellular level, the, the raw discretion of the police officer there, they have a lot of discretion to, Dude. to uh, detain somebody to, to investigate, ask questions, to follow sure. you, to um, put you under the microscope, um, to even to uh, physically assault you in various ways. Uh, not that, that, that most police officers are interested in doing that, but sure, sure. But there is the wiggle room just inherent in the, in the way that the job is structured and qualified immunity and all that stuff. The way it well, gets and they have the, out. they have the power of coercive force. Yes. That's how I put it. You know, my yeah. undergrad uh, degree is criminal justice. I studied policing my, I uh, forget what they call it. My, like what I want concentration in law school was also criminal justice. So I know a lot about criminal justice and uh, yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because hmm. I've worked for 
every level of the government, being at the city attorney's office for a little bit, uh, working at the Employment Development Department, which is the state of California, judicial assistant at the court, and the courts kind of fall between county and their own kind of thing. And mm-hmm. uh, I worked for the federal government for a little bit after EDD, it was a, a lateral move, uh, being a disabled veteran outreach program specialist. There was a time when I worked for the military, I mean, excuse me, for the, the government, the state and the federal government, that my license plate came up confidential. So the two or three times I got pulled over while I worked for the government, I already knew that it was going to be a pretty pleasant, amicable situation because they knew I was somebody connected to the government right when they pulled me over. So I, you know, when I did drive a car, I don't own a car anymore, just motorcycles, but you know, I would always have my hands at 10 and two, you know, with the window rolled down when they came up to the window and usually holding my license in my hand already. And then they yeah. would ask me, you know, who do you work for? And I would tell them who I work for. And they go, okay, well, pulled you over for this or that or blah, blah, blah. And we'd talk a little bit, then they'd run my license, they'd give it back and I'd be on my way. Hmm. So I haven't had any more let's say negative encounters with the police in the last like 30 years, you know, and I've been pulled over a few times, but like, like I said, it hasn't been a, have you had an encounter while carrying and how did, yes. If so, how did you handle that? And how do you recommend people handle it? Yeah. I got pulled over about two months ago in California. I was just coming back from Arizona and I had my firearm inside my vest pocket and I was having some problems out of my motorcycle, out of my Harley. I had pulled into, uh, or taken the exit. I was trying to take the exit for the Harley Davidson in Victorville and I missed the exit. Just hadn't taken it that often. Just didn't remember which exit passed it by. Took the next exit. And often a motorcycle is not heavy enough to trigger the light to change. The light didn't change through two cycles. So after that second cycle, I did an illegal U-turn. Okay. Well, <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. There was a police officer. It was one of the first vehicles that was coming toward me. There was plenty of room. I did it safely, but it was still illegal. And so he followed me onto the on-ramp of the 15 South. The very next exit's right there where you get back off, do a little circle around to go to where Harley is. And I pulled me over right there. Just lit me up. So I pulled over. He says, uh, I'm pulling you over because you did an illegal U-turn back there. And I said, well, if you saw the illegal U-turn, you must have also seen that I sat there through two cycles of that light and it just wasn't changing for me. He said, well, you have your license and your registration, your proof of insurance. I said, I have all of that and I have a firearm and it's on my left side in this pocket. I pointed to it. I had my hands on my handlebars first. I said, it, I pointed to it. I said, there's a firearm in that pocket. My wallet is in my right pocket over here. And I have a permit for that firearm concealed carry. And he says, okay. I said, so right now I'm going to reach very slowly into my right pocket and pull out the license from my you know, my wallet and my permit. And I just want to make it clear to you that I'm not reaching for my firearm. 
He said, okay. And so I pulled out the wallet. I gave him my driver's license. I gave him my permit. And then I asked him, I said, if you would like to hold on to the firearm while we talk, you're more than welcome to do that. And he said, I would like that. So I unzipped the jacket and I opened it up with my left hand so that I couldn't be reaching into it. And I said, you're welcome to reach into that pocket right there. Just be aware that I carry one in the chamber and that gun is ready to go right now. So he said, well, you pull it out and hand it to me. And so I handed it to him with the barrel down, my finger off the trigger. He took that weapon and he put it on the hood of his car. He came back and then it was like all hell broke loose. He was treating me like I was a serious criminal from that second forward. And I was very blown away about what was going on right then. You know, it was a feedback and spread them thing. And I was thinking to myself, what could I have done any differently to put this officer at ease? Yeah. I have just let him know I have a firearm. I let him know that I'm not reaching for it. Here's my driver's license. And here's my permit for that firearm. And in fact, you can hold on to it if you want to. And now I'm being treated like a criminal. So I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, I feel like my rights are being violated right now. And if I'm an attorney and I know the law as well as I do, and I feel like my rights are being violated, then they probably are being violated. <laughs> but again, you don't fight your traffic ticket, speeding ticket or whatever on the side of the freeway. So I wasn't going to get into him about what I took as a violation of my rights. Right. I figured I'm just going to go through whatever this is and we'll get through it. So he pats me down. And when he gets to my four o'clock position, he says, what's this? I said, well, that's an empty holster. I just came from Arizona where it was open carry. So I was using that holster when I was in Arizona. When I got back to California, but before I crossed the border, I stuck the weapon in that pocket where you got it from, you know, where I handed it to you from. He says, okay. And so he just, you know, at that point stuck his fingers and he lifted up the jacket a little bit, the vest and stuck his fingers in there and just verified that that holster was empty. So there's a case called Terry versus Ohio and it's 1968. And uh, that is the case for anybody who wants to look it up that allows an officer to pat you down on reasonable suspicion of you know danger to themselves or right the public call and, the terry uh, stop a terry stop call exactly terry that's why stop terry, after that case yeah terry exactly that's why it's called a terry stop yeah so once he let me go gave him my firearm back he asked some other questions that i didn't feel like answering because i didn't have to so i just let him know i don't really feel like answering those questions and so uh, I told him, I said, look, I actually, the very first thing I said was I'm trying to get to Harley before they shut down the doors. Cause the yeah. bikes have not problem here. It's five 30 and they close at six, but he let me go at about 10 till I got there to Harley. Then I was just kept thinking, I kept thinking like, I feel like that cop just completely violated my rights. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I Terry versus Ohio. It's on my head. I'm, I do criminal defense. I can't remember right. that. Either. Right. I just Googled it. And, uh, I went, well, he didn't meet the first prong. There was no reasonable suspicion of, of danger to himself or society, the public, because I already gave him the firearm. And uh, then it hit right. me. The reason that he patted me down 
was because my open carry holster true just sticks out quite a bit from my belt and it's uh uh what do they call it um it would certainly alert someone in california that you might have a gun on you right sure sure exactly i can't remember what do they what do they call that when it's um the police have something that's called three something there's there's three mechanisms to get the weapon out minus two what do you call that i can't remember now for some reason yeah i i'm forgetting the exact terminology it's like second level or third level but there's a i I can't remember i've got a lot of my mind today but anyway it's a type of holster yes yeah yeah exactly so mine it takes two things to actually get the weapon out my uh my open carry i don't want someone to be able to just walk up behind me and grab grab my pistol out of you know what i mean makes sense so i i have to actually push a a lever that releases it before i can pull the weapon out i have other holsters that are not like that but that particular one and that one it sticks out a good i don't know two and a half three inches from my body it was under my jacket you know and so then i got it then it made sense i was like all right yeah i gave him this firearm but he definitely sees something bulging out take that off your hip before he came into california gotcha exactly but there's nothing in the holster it was just empty holster so i didn't think i needed to even though i've already heard this story at neptune's net i think what you're where you're going here is you're you're thinking the officer had reasonable suspicion after all he did meet that first prong of terry yeah I believe that he did actually have reasonable suspicion at that point, because again, he sees this, you know, holsters pushing my jacket out from the back, my vest out, you know, so that's a wonderful like, story. Uh, yeah. I, I love the way you tell that story because you're just being really true and honest about your feelings at that moment. What, what race yep. was the officer? Uh, he, or I think it, he may, well, he may have been Filipino. I'm, I'm not sure he was Asian. I, I hesitate to ask that question because I'm not even sure the relevance of it for you, but is there a yeah. relevance for you? Um, I don't I know mean, if, if there's the officer a relevance. was black would that, would you still feel that way? I would have felt the same, no matter what race the officer had been, That's because guess, for yeah. me, it was this person who has coercive force. That's right. Who's subjecting me to that. Yeah. No matter what their race, that makes you know, a lot of sense if, to me. You know, to me, it's the actions of the person. Yeah. And, and that's how I am in life in general. I don't care what race a person is. I care about how you are treating me or the people around me. Mm. You sort of your actions that I'm looking at. So to me, no, it wouldn't have mattered what race they were. The simple fact that they're putting me through that. In my opinion at the time, which was an educated guess, because I'm, I'm, I'm a lawyer. I did. I felt like my rights were being violated until I really you know, use my lawyer brain and parse through this and went, actually, he did have reasonable suspicion. I've already given him one firearm. What's not to think there's not another firearm right there bulging out. Is there a, is there a condition on your license that you have to be careful with, with the contact of the public contact with the federal or with a law enforcement? Do you have to report my license? Yeah. On my CCW? Yeah. Yeah. are you asking do i need to report that i have a firearm no no i mean if you have contact with a a, a law enforcement are you required to report that not in california okay 
Oh, wait, wait, wait. Are you asking me? Wait, wait, I want to make sure I understand the question. Are you asking me if I get pulled over, do I need to disclose that I have a firearm? No, no, or I'm if asking. If I have any contact, or I need to tell the court. Well, did the guy give you a ticket? No, he did not oh, give me okay, a ticket. Okay, all right. All right. I, no. I guess it's kind of, uh, I, I think I'd heard somewhere that, that if you get a concealed license in California, that you have to uh, disclose any contact with any law enforcement that you have. I do not think that's true. That but if the guy didn't give you a ticket, then it doesn't really matter, I guess. Right. And so I've got my concealed carry right here for California. I've actually got a lot of them, just so you know. I've got California. I, I know you said you said. Right? <laughs> now, how many states are you legal in to carry conceal? I think I am legal in 44 states to carry conceal. 44. Wow. 44. Yeah. I cannot carry in Hawaii uh, concealed. I cannot carry in Colorado concealed. South Carolina. I think Rhode Island. I can, I can pull it up real quick and tell you, I've got the little map right here and uh, no Puerto Rico hmm. here. I'll tell you, I've got the app on my phone. I use this app from the USCCA, US United States concealed carry association so that anytime i'm traveling i make sure that i don't run afoul of the law let's yeah. see and it comes up automatically i've got it my licenses my permits already entered so it will tell me reciprocity map there we go that's a lot to keep track of <laughs> it is that's why i love this app because i can just look at it so reciprocity gun laws and it all you have to do is enter your permits and then it comes up. I don't know. Can you see that? Oh, probably can't see it. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. So anything in red, I can't carry. That's very few places I can't carry. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Now, does California so, have reciprocity with anybody? Uh, no. To the best of my knowledge, last I checked, which was only about a month ago, California does not have reciprocity because for reciprocity, just for the very definition of the word, it's reciprocal. That would mean that California would have to recognize another state's CCW, which California does not recognize any state's CCW. Do you so think that that's no reasonable on the part of California? In my opinion, no, it's not. <laughs> I think that there, I think if you can carry in any state, You've passed the background check or whatever for any state. You yeah. should be able to carry in every state, in my opinion. So it's a lot for just... the average citizen. I mean, you're an attorney and looks like a lot for you to handle. I mean, can you imagine someone that's not an attorney trying to keep track of all that stuff? Oh, I know it, it's a lot. So here are my restrictions. Wow. It says will not enter court when a party to action. Hmm. Comply with Title 49 and FAA regulations, so I can't carry it on an airplane on you know in the passenger compartment, gotcha. and may not carry as security person for others. Ah. Now I also know that there is a another restriction. I remember on the application, you cannot interfere with a police officer in the course of their duty. That was on there. So okay. 
Makes sense. Police officer is arresting my buddy, my girlfriend, whatever. I can't pull out my gun and say, leave them alone. <laughs> I can't do that. You know, makes that kind of makes sense. Right you now. went to law school uh, later in life. What was that like? <laughs> you must have been one of the most mature people in the classroom. Well, I don't know about all that, but at least <laughs> older. <laughs> yeah, right. Maturity is subjective. Right? <laughs> How old were you when you went back? Do you mind my asking? Well, I don't mind. I think I was 40 when I went back to college. I had gone for a year and a half in wow. uh, in Nevada at uh, like there's community college and University uh-huh. of Phoenix over there. Right, right, right. Uh, I remember going back to school because I used to build cell phone towers. I did a lot of construction and played in bands and stuff like that in my life. And I had gotten up pretty high building cell phone towers, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> high in my career <laughs> and high working, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But in 2000, what, seven, in 2007, we started having a recession mm-hmm. and got laid off. I thought I would never get laid off building cell phone towers because everybody's got a cell phone, right? Yeah. 2008 got laid off again. And that was about 80% of the workforce that built cell phone towers because uh, these cell phone companies started doing co-locate, like putting their antennas, new antennas on existing towers. So we weren't building towers anymore. Mm. And I never forget my nephew was on the phone with him that day. He calls me here and there. Uh, He lives out in Illinois. He says, uh, what are you going to do now? And I said, I don't know. I didn't plan to ever be out of work. And mm. I'd, I'd wanted to be a lawyer since 1998. I uh, played in a band in Seattle in the 90s. And What did you play? Thought, what really got what a guitar. I play cool. guitar. That's awesome. Yep. Yeah, it was uh, used to be called the Me and Mike Band. Now it's Mr. Muggy, like M-R-M-U-G-G-Y. Anybody wants to look up the music, you can get it free online. Uh, I wrote all that stuff back in the day. Cool. Yeah, I played in another band in, uh, in Vegas and stuff. But anyway, I got really screwed over by the recording, you know, the record company back then. I remember in 1998 just thinking that's when we released the CD worldwide. And I thought, man, I'm going to be an attorney and I'm going to work for other singers, songwriters, performers, artists, musicians, and make sure they don't get screwed over, you know, by the, the, the system of record companies. Right. And, uh, I never wanted to give up a career though, because if you go to law school full-time, you can't work. They don't allow you to work at least the first year. So I was never willing to give up a career to go to law school. Well, when my nephew asked me what I was going to do and I didn't know, he says, well, why don't you go back to school? And literally right then it hit me. I went, huh, I don't have to give up a job or career right now because I'm not working. So maybe I should go back to school. And I went back to school finish up my criminal justice degree. And uh, I I knew at that time I wasn't going to stop. I was going to go all the way through, become an attorney and start my own law firm. Wow. And so here I am. It was uh, interesting. Was it hard for you? Was it easy? Was it medium? Uh, What were the other students? What were the other students like? (laughs) Well, I went to night school at Loyola Law, downtown L.A., uh, the night program is technically part-time. Uh, it's one of the highest, at least it was, but one of the highest or the highest rated night evening program. They call it the evening program uh, in the United States. So uh, that was my first choice, law school. I am still ecstatic 
that I got into Loyola Law. I loved it. It was a great experience, especially as an adult that was there because I knew what I wanted. Uh, A lot of the people in the evening courses were the same. They were older. And by older, I mean 28 to 32, you know, not like they were just coming out of college, like most of the day students. Mm -hmm. I would say almost all of the day students had just come out of undergrad right into law school. They were average age 24, 25 years old. Yeah. So, you know, me being in my 40s, and uh, by the time I got to law school, I think it was 44, uh, (laughs) I was actually older than most of my professors, you know? (laughs) Yeah. My professors were right in that age group. You know, yeah. there were a few that were a little older than me, but uh, not many. So uh, it was, it was interesting to say the least. You know, I, I paid attention to every single thing that they told me and that they taught me because I knew it was going to matter. Uh-huh. Uh, I let law become really, like you said about the police earlier, it was at a cellular level for me. Mm. I really absorbed every single thing about the law when I was in law school, because I knew that not only would I have to take and pass the bar exam, but I was going to need that information forever as a lawyer. So why not just pay attention and soak it in? Right. You know, uh, did you get the impression the other students were like that too? No. (laughs) I did not get the impression that the other students were like that too. Uh, I was different in so many aspects than the other students. I'll give you a great example. When you finish law school, the next thing you have to do is study for the bar. Mm -hmm. California and New York are historically the most difficult bar exams to pass. They have a very low pass rate, especially California think the lowest pass rate is california for first-time bar takers mm-hmm. so <clears throat> one of the piece of advice that a counselor gave was cut everyone out of your life for 90 days tell everyone you don't want to hear from them for any reason you don't want to hear that someone died mm-hmm. you don't want to hear that a baby was born you don't want to hear anything you want to just study and so i had this great idea i had uh, i had gone to law school in germany also i went to law school at the other lmu which is ludwig maximum university so that was an ex- like not an exchange program but a study abroad uh, wow. i go to germany eh, two three times a year german's my second language so for me it's, it's great it was a great opportunity for me to spend more time in germany so uh, how did germany get how did german become your second language Whew, I wish I knew, except that I learned more of it than anything else other than English. Wow. Uh, well, growing up in Seattle, my parents used to take me to Leavenworth, which is a Bavarian village up in the mountains up there, uh, ever since I was probably three. Wow. And that's the only thing I can think of because it was weird. First time I went to Germany, I mean, I knew, uh, I didn't even know that hello was hello. I didn't know that yet. I knew Gesundheit. And I knew Dunkashun. I thought I knew one other thing. Maybe I didn't know hello, but it was I'm minimal. I knew like three things. And I was over there with my buddy Clayton. We were 
on my first trip to Europe and it was a motorcycle trip. He had shipped his bike over and I rented a bike because I was on spring break from law school. So I had the weekend before the weekend after and the five days. So I had nine days by probably day five. I was picking up German like it was nobody's business. You know, I remember the first day I was like, I need to know the numbers. I need to know how to count. So I learned how to count to 10, but two was the only one I really needed most because the first thing I wanted to say was zwei Hefeweizen for mein Freund und für mich. Two Hefeweizens, you know, for my friend and for me. And uh, <laughs> what else did I learn? On I learned, oh, I wanted to learn Voyez de Toilette. Where's the bathroom? Right? Yeah. And then it was. Uh, what, what's there to do in Germany? Oh, there's do, so much to do. What do in you Germany. do? What do you do over there? You know what? I go over now. I've got friends who are like family over there, like really, really close friends. I go and visit castles. I love, love, love visiting the castles over there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're aware. You were at Disney yesterday. Yeah. You know the big castle there. Yeah. And uh, it's it's actually in the in the beginning scenes of every Disney movie, right? Yeah, that's right. That's uh that's Neuschwanstein. It's over there near Fusen in uh, South Bavaria. That's oh. a real castle. And wow. I've been to that castle several times. It's it's a quite a hike to get up, or you can take the carriage with the horse or what have you. But it's uh, it's the uh, Schloss ist sehr schön. That castle is uh, is very beautiful. It's wow. just amazing that and the churches. I love all the churches in Europe, and I just love that you can go to a hotel that's from fourteen twelve. Hmm. You know, everything there, a new building for the most part is older than our entire country. Do you have a, do you have a religious background? Do you have, did you grow up religious? I did. Yes, I I did and do. I I grew up Pentecostal. So Protestant Pentecostal. Uh, I like to say now that I am religious and I'm spiritual. And I say that because uh, to me, uh, a lawyer's, you know, we're, big on words religious really means like doing things repetitively religiously yeah so i pray often you know i, I pray every day that i never have to use my firearm hmm. you know literally every single day i put my firearm in a holster and i walk out of my house i have already prayed that today not be the day that i have to use that firearm so i don't want to shoot anybody you know it's not my end goal. I'm not walking around like John Wayne with a gun on my hip, hoping to pull it out. Not that John Wayne did, but you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not Billy badass. I'm not, I'm not starting problems. I I don't, I want to deescalate things and I've no, you just want to be prepared in case you have to use it. That's exactly right. You know, I found that carrying a firearm has actually calmed me down even more Interesting. because I, do not want situations to escalate to where I have to use that firearm. I want to de-escalate and de-escalate. So it has mental and, uh, health benefits of calming anxiety, knowing you're there you go. prepared for the worst case scenario. There you go. Exactly. You know, so had Germany for me, I just, I kept learning. I met people on that first trip. I added them on WhatsApp. I continued practicing. I ended up going back to college after law school just to take German. So I took two years of German after I was already a lawyer at Santa Monica Community College. Mm -hmm. Uh, I use uh, Duolingo. I practice. It's a little app you can practice languages on. 
I generally practice. I haven't been lately, but I generally practice every day with Duolingo. I stay up on my German. I have German speaking cool. friends. I practice with them. And I'm a member of the German American club in Santa Monica. No kidding. So it's the German American club of Santa Monica. Yeah. Are you the only black guy that's in that club? <laughs> I think I am the only black member. <laughs> is there a, is it a big club? Uh, there's 300 people in the German American club. Wow. That's a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. We own the building over there. It's on Lincoln. Uh, right before, if you're going from Venice, right as you, after you pass uh, Kiko, we're on the right hand side there. And uh, it looks like a German building. <laughs> so it, it looks like what it is. That's for members only. Uh, most of the time on Thursdays, we meet there and we have dinner, things like that. Uh, every Thursday we have dinner. I don't show up every Thursday. Not everybody shows up every Thursday, but you know, as a member, you can let them know ahead of time that you're coming and there'll be a plate of food for you. you know, wow. Is it good, is it good food? It's great food. It's usually what, what some kind of food one of it? the members. Oh, we'll have brats or we'll have uh, German food schnitzel or uh, wow. you name it. There, there's always a different meal. I don't know if I've had the same meal twice, but maybe. You know, some so, sauerkraut, beer. So you lost your eye from a neo-Nazi, and you're a member of the German-American club. Well, I lost my eyesight. The eye is still right. there. Yeah, I lost your eyesight. <laughs> so you don't hold any, uh, you don't hold any uh, ill will toward the German culture, the German people, German ethnicity. Not at, Not at all. And I mean, let's let's be real here. Not every German was a Nazi. Right. <laughs> you know, there were very few Germans by percentage that were Nazis. You know sense. what I mean? So it's kind of crazy. They somehow that got the anybody... power and intimidated a bunch of people to follow along with their bullshit. Sorry. Sure. You know? Yeah. Hey, so it would be ludicrous to hold that against the German people. Yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, even, I mean, looking at it now, even, I mean, People who are alive now were not even alive then. Right. You know? So in other words, so, you're looking at people like individuals. Exactly. But I'll tell you, the truth is that when I first went to Germany, because that was my very first trip to Europe, I landed in Frankfurt. I was hanging out with my buddy, who was one of my best friends. And I was asking people, you know, Oh, I, I did learn that one. Spreken Sie English? Because I want to know, you know, do you speak English? And uh, I asked everyone who spoke English, what's the racial problem like over here? Because mm -hmm. I didn't know. Yeah. You know, here I'm a black guy, my first trip to Europe, and I land in Germany. Uh -huh. And I have no idea how I'm going to get treated. Yeah. You know, well, you said and... your parents took you there when you were three, right? So did no, you? No, no, no. They took me to a Bavarian village in Washington State in a place called oh. Leavenworth. Oh, okay. I got you. I got you. Sorry. Yeah. I missed that. I got you. Yeah. Okay. So, so I'd never been to Europe and never been oh, to Germany okay. before that first okay. trip, which is like 2012. And okay. uh, I did, I mean, literally everywhere I went, you know, not only did I ask to learn something because I wanted to learn something from each person. So I, mm -hmm. I kept adding words to my vocabulary the whole week, but every new little town too, I would get to or a city and I, what's the racial problem like? And everybody gave me the same exact answer like they were waiting for me. Hmm. They said, we don't like the Turks. Wow. And I was shocked because I kept getting the same answer. And I was like, well, wait a minute. There's a lot of They're Germans white, like Turkey. you. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of Turks in Germany, too. Okay. And uh, so, so I, I would ask why, you know, why don't you like Turks or why don't you in general? Because they would say we don't. I said, why? And they go, well, because they come to our country and they don't learn the language. They don't learn the culture. Hmm. Well, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, anybody that comes to your country, I mean, we have people here that say the same thing about people coming across the border. Right. You know, they don't learn the language. Don't they learn want culture. the respect. Don't... Like, yeah. come over here. You're going to learn how we speak. Yeah. Yeah. And I okay. think by the end of the week, I know by the end of the week, because I kept hearing this from people, they go, you know how to speak more German than most of the tourists. And I don't know if that's true, but, you know, they wow. said, you know how to speak more German than they do. And they live here. So they and said they, they saying, really want to be said. Yeah, they were saying that as a compliment to you because yeah. you care about their culture and they appreciate that. Sure. Sure. Wow. You know, and uh, I don't know, like I just really started learning fun stuff to say to people. And uh, it, it always breaks the ice. Yeah. You know, you know, I, uh, I go to a bar by myself or whatever there. And I'll, I'll say, um, hey, in which is excuse me, you know, or pardon me. And they'll, they'll look over and it'll make a whole table of them partying. Right. <laughs> and I'll go, no, I'm fine. Drink the line, which means only a pig drinks alone. It's, a, it's just a little fun saying. Wow. So, so I would say, no, I'm fine. Drink the line. And then they all turn around in unison and new Anazal nims It's something about a, you know, there's a female pig. Well, now you're not alone. You know, you're, oh, you know, you can drink with us. That's hilarious. So, <laughs> it ingratiates. How, how much of how you are, it comes from your parents, how you grew up, how much is it just your becoming your own man, different experiences that you've had. I mean, obviously you have a unique personality. You like people. You seem to, um, you seem to be very curious. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you, you carry a firearm, you, you're very concerned about being prepared for the worst case scenario. And yet you're obviously like a real people person. I mean, it's not weird to me, but I know there's somebody out there that's probably listening to this now and in the future. And they're thinking, um, I, I'm trying to connect these dots because they have a perception of firearm owners, people that are you know, they have some kind of weird idea. It's not, it's not really based on reality necessarily. Sure. It might be an ex a bad experience they've had, but it's not really representative of reality. You know, and that goes back to people having preconceived notions or prejudices. You know, right. I, I hear people all the time talk about um, their opinions of why people shouldn't carry firearms comes up often because I don't keep it a secret that I carry a firearm. No, you do so not. It comes up in conversation. No. Yeah. Right. I met you <laughs> within two minutes. It's coming out of my mouth. Hey buddy. It's second amendment. Yeah. Believe it. Here's mine right here. Card carrying professional, you know? So yeah. Uh, here's the thing. You like talking about it. I mean, I could tell that when I came up to you and I said, Hey, I like your jacket and you're like, thanks. And I could tell by the way you postured yourself, that you were open to further light conversation. And I, so I was like, you know, you're a biker. Uh, yeah, yep. You, you like the second amendment. Um, I don't know anything else about you besides the fact that you're black, yeah. but you have a nice bike. And, yeah. and I, and then you were like, yeah, and I carry a gun and I'm an attorney. And so you just, you obviously are inviting. I think you're inviting to people and it's almost like you had no idea like 
if I'm some crazy person that wants to take guns away from everybody, you, but you, you, you were, you'd be happy to have a conversation with me. Sure. And I feel like that's what we, we, and I mean, we as responsible gun owners mm -hmm. need to keep in mind is that we can have a conversation with anybody about our firearm, whether mm -hmm. they agree with us or not. Right. People want to be heard. So if someone wants to tell me all the reasons they believe a person should not carry a firearm, the first thing I do is I listen because they want to be heard. I don't need to shut them down and say, look, buddy, I'm going to carry my damn gun no matter what you think. I don't need to do that because that's not going to get us anywhere. Hmm. So since people want to be heard, I'm just going to listen first. You know, you might have said that to me. You might have said, hey, I'm actually against Second Amendment when you saw my patch. You might have said that. I would have let you talk still. Have you had any have you had anybody that gave you a, what you consider to be a decent argument against the Second Amendment or against carrying guns for self-defense or having them? I don't think any of their arguments have. I don't think they've held up against what I've said back to them. Okay. You know, and uh, so I think they dialogue, probably, you listen well, yeah, yeah, and listen. then you respond exactly to what they said. Exactly. Exactly. What a concept. You know, <laughs> what's that? I what, said, what, what a concept. Con what a concept. Yeah. To actually have a conversation, a dialogue, yeah, right? That's great. Yeah. You know, we as responsible firearm owners are going to get a lot further with people who are anti-firearm or anti-firearms being carried in public, at least, you know, we will get much further if we just have conversations with them. You know, we don't have to take it personally. They're not looking at us personally and trying to say we're a, a bad person. They just don't agree with what we're doing. They don't agree with us having a weapon, you know, People ask me often why, because yeah, you know, I as hang if, out as with if the weapon, as if, as if merely being prepared, prepared for a bad thing is going to make you somehow cause the bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. They, I think they kind of think that, you know? Yeah. And I mean, why else would you be prevent it? Yeah. And it's for lack of a better word, it's disarming to them. Hmm. to find out that i am a nice guy and i am friendly and i do have a firearm on me yeah you know and uh they, they want to know why and and i tell them it's it's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it if it makes makes last i checked right i think that i don't know if as of today but i know the end of march or the first week of april I looked at the stats and I mean, anybody can find it. It's historical. Now it's in the past a couple months back or whatever, a month ago or whatever. Uh, we're basically having one mass shooting a day in the United States. You know, that's a lot of mass shootings. The mass shooting by definition, last I checked was something like any shooting that, in, that it injures four people whether or not one of those is the shooter. So yeah. if the shooter shoots right. three and then the police shoot the shooter, that's still a mass shooting. Huh, wow. It's four total, you yeah. know? Yeah. So if the shooter shoots four and then doesn't get shot, that's still a mass shooting. Right. 
So, I mean, we're having one a day. I, I think it excludes gangs. I think there's something exactly. that excludes gangs. Yeah. Right. So none of us know where the next mass shooter is going to show up. Right. But I do know this. If I'm there or another responsible gun owner is there that will step up and take care of that situation, there's going to be a lot less people killed by that mass shooter because we can defend ourselves and others because we have that firearm. We don't have it at home. We don't have to run home and get it. You can't run home and get it. Right. What do you say to people that say, oh, then that just proves we should ban guns? That's never going to happen. You know, it, we're never going to ban guns anyway. So that's just a ridiculous thought, really. You know, let's well, think about it. Honestly. What, if they, what if they said, look at England, look at Canada. There's all sorts of restrictions up there. Australia, Japan, right? right. Plenty right. of places. But this is the United States of America. Honestly, um, that's what I tell them. This is the United States of America. There are 300 million handguns, probably more than that now. But the last time I read it, it was 300 million handguns. And we have what? 300 million adults. There's a handgun literally out there for every single adult who in the world could really believe that we're going to confiscate all those guns. Right. As a country. Well, what if they it's say we, we could try and we yeah. should try. Do you think that there's a principal reason that we shouldn't try? Well, the second amendment is the principal <laughs> reason we shouldn't try. <laughs> so in other words, you're for self-defense. You're for, I'm for self-defense. Yeah. You know, to me, it sounds like you have a basic distinction in your mind between the true bad person, the the immoral criminal, and then the person that is just trying to prevent that. Sure. Yeah, I'm not a bad person because I have a gun. No. You know, and I'm not a bad person because I carry a gun. You shouldn't be treated that way by the law. The law shouldn't regard you as a guilty of a crime merely because you want to defend yourself from crime. Exactly. Exactly. What do you think about people who, uh, who don't like, they want to have magazine capacity limits? Like, what do you think of that issue? The 10, I I said, what do you think of people? I should have said, what do you think of the issue? My, my apologies. Um, No, what do you think? That's ridiculous too. The 10 round magazine limit here. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous to have a limit on the size of a magazine. So I guess proponents of that, of the magazine capacity limits, would say something like, oh, well, if you limit it to 10, they're going to have to reload. Yeah, right. So in that time, that's less shots that, excuse me, that they're taking. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's say that's true. Let's, let's just give them that. Okay. We'll say, all right. 10 magazine, 10 round magazine limit causes that shooter to have to reload. I'm a pretty good shot. Okay. (laughs) I go to the range usually once a week. You have training. I have have training. I have a lot of training in training with firearm training scenarios and actually firing my weapon. I I train a lot, a lot Mm -hmm. more than actually anybody that I know. And I'm sure there are people who probably go more than me, but I go once a week as a general rule. Just there's a a lot of options for training now too especially with all the the veterans coming back from two wars and there's a lot yeah so i don't know what i was going somewhere with that 10 round 10 round limit yeah Uh, so 10 rounds so here's the thing so even if we give them that part of the argument and say all right the bad guy now the mass shooter has to reload right like i'm saying i'm a pretty good shot 
And mm. I don't always hit right where I'm shooting at. I'm a little off here and there, you know, but under a stressful situation, life and death. Yeah. A lot of people, whether they think they're the greatest shot in the world or not, are going to find out, unfortunately, in that situation, they're not that great of a shot when their adrenaline's pumping. And when somebody's shooting back at them, paper targets don't shoot back. Right. You know? So now we are limiting yeah. the person who is a law-abiding citizen yeah. trying to defend themselves. We're limiting them to 10 rounds. Yeah. We're applying now, the criminal, we're applying the criminal law to them. Yeah. If if they need that 12th round. Right. Here's the other thing. This is and this is what I try to get across to anybody who is anti-gun. Okay. Yeah. I say, look, if we as a society make laws for further gun control, we are only controlling the person like me who's following all the laws. We're not going to control the criminal because the criminal is not following the law anyway. So all gun control does is affects the law-abiding citizen, which is what makes it ridiculous. Yeah, because then they're more vulnerable. Exactly. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And they're vulnerable in two different ways. They're vulnerable from the bad criminal, the immoral criminal. I say it that way because a lot of the criminal offenses don't seem to be immoral to me. They, they don't make you a bad person. If you have, if you can fit 12 rounds into your magazine, that doesn't make you a bad person, but the, the law under the law, you're a criminal in California, um, the way they designed it. But yeah, so they defends against the criminal, but it also, um, you become a victim and from the criminal also from the law itself the law can make you a victim the criminal exactly. justice system you're now subject to that and that's a yep. mess and as you know i mean it can really have life-altering effects for really for, for nothing for nothing yep. for just being ready for self-defense man yeah it's a crazy world i mean we, we have to fix it we have to stop with all this rhetoric of gun control gun control gun control you know yeah what Does did you stop with someone's going to uh, be upset at me if I don't ask this question? Uh, what did you think about Trump? Um, That's a good question. What did I think about Trump? All right. Oh, I didn't. Fit, I have to go back to answer that question. I have to go back to something I was already telling you. Oh, OK. So I told you I was I was going to Europe. I said, but I was different than all the other law students. Yes, that's right. You were talking about law school. Yeah. And then so, we started talking about Germany. Right. So on my trip, when I moved to Germany to go to law school that summer, I went to Budapest, Hungary for my first time. I felt this calm come over me that was amazing. I'd never felt like that before. I felt like that was my place. Wow. So I went back. I changed my trip. I had plans every weekend to go somewhere different in Europe, whether it be Amsterdam, or Barcelona, whatever. Uh, I changed my trip and I actually went back to Hungary, to Budapest on that trip. And then I actually moved to Budapest because this is what I was getting at earlier. And this will lead to answering your question. Okay. So 
at the end of law school, I was saying you have to study for the bar exam. The professors, remember uh, the counselors, whatever I told you, I was listening to everything they said. They said, cut everybody out for 90 days. So I did. I told everybody, I'm going away. I'm going to Budapest. I'm going to live in Budapest for the summer and study for the bar. And everybody told me, you're crazy. You're, you're not going to pass the bar. You're going to be goofing off and partying in Europe all summer while we're studying. I said, no, you are going to be in the basement of the law school library without any windows, pulling your hair out and all of you feeding off each other's stress. I'm going to be by myself and I'm going to study because hmm. I realize I have to do this. Hmm. And if I finish at nine o'clock at night, I'm in Budapest. I'm going out. <laughs> if I finish at 1145, I'm going to walk around the block, but at least I'm going to do it in Budapest, which at that point and still is my favorite city in the whole world. Wow. My favorite area. Is what do you like Bavaria. about it? Just so we get a handle on what, what it is. Is so it just beautiful Budapest, or what? Yeah, Budapest and Prague. I don't know if you know this, but uh, Prague, Czech Republic, Budapest and Hungary. But those are two of the only cities that never got destroyed in the world wars. Oh, wow. So they are original. As you walk through the streets of Budapest, you are walking through ancient history. And beauty, yeah, I'm really into architecture, which is why I'm sure I love castles and churches so much. Hmm. And... Uh, but I, I want to kind of stay on track because it's coming back to what you just asked me about Trump. Okay. So, so here I was minding my own business, doing everything I needed to do in 2016. Okay. To study for the bar. And I stuck to it. I did nine to 12 hours a day, every single day, except let's even my birthday. I flew over. I was in Athens, Greece for the first four days. I took a half day off to go see, you know, the, the sites in Athens and what have you. But uh, other than that, I didn't take any time off. Like I said, if I finished my, it had a little graph on it, a little circle thing, a little uh, pie chart. It would show me when I was at hundred percent for the day. I didn't stop until I was at hundred percent for the day because wow. I wanted to pass the bar. And I yeah. did, I came back. Wow. I took the bar back when it was the three-day bar exam. And to me, it was just like another day because I had just spent a hundred days in a row wow. studying for the bar. That's awesome. You know? So I came back, I was in my flip-flops and I was in my little German lederhose and pants, you know, and, you know <laughs> my little Oktoberfest shirt. Cause that's one of the trips I always make over is for Oktoberfest, which is amazing. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I just sat there and I took the bar like it was nobody's business. And when I wow. walked out of that room after three days and I, the pressure cooker, the bar examiner, people were sitting there and I was like, so that was the hardest test in the world. They're like, yeah. I was like, that's all you got. <laughs> they're like what do you mean i said well that's all you got i want to take the bar everywhere because that was nothing wow. they're like well we'll see because it takes mm -hmm. four months for them to grade your your mm -hmm. bar you know and uh, the essays and all that stuff right and i was like whatever I, I already know i passed because i studied every single freaking day you know yeah anyway now bring you up to the the end of that summer i'm coming back it's july 2016 <laughs> and I've been studying all summer, no breaks, straight through those like, but not locked in a room like my, my friends. So you were having a good time too. Yeah. You know, I was out in the park in the middle of Budapest, you know, studying. And uh, cool. I went to Central European University because I, I had this scholarship that I didn't end up taking over there. But I asked him, I said, look, can I use your library for the Wi-Fi 
And they're like, yeah, no problem. I had to get a letter and whatever. But anyway, so I was over there at the, at the Central European University at least once a day, hooking up to their Wi-Fi so I could upload my tests and stuff, my, uh, my essays, all that stuff. But other than that, it was location, location, location. I walked around Budapest. I would walk to this park. Or Budapest has a lot of parks. And I would just work in the park or take a break and just look up and like, wow, yeah, I am. I'm here in Budapest. I'm doing this, you know? So I was just on top of the world when I came back. Hmm. And I will never forget when I got to the airport, when I first got back to the United States, because the election was getting ready to happen. Yeah. Okay. And I looked up at the news on the, you know, the little TV there at the gate. Mm-hmm. And it said, that I didn't know anything really what was going on because I had been in Budapest. You know, they're not playing anything about American news over there. And I wasn't paying attention to the news. Anymore. I don't even own a TV, just so you know. I'm not a mm-hmm. news guy. I don't, I don't own a TV. I haven't. No owned wonder a TV. you're so happy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Since like 19. 1990 or 91 was the last time i really owned a tv but anyway we don't have uh, one either yeah i'm on i'm on the go living my life i don't have time to sit around and watch tv not against it that's what people want to do have at it i want to right. go out and live but anyway i'm looking at this tv screen at the the airport and the gate and i just remember thinking hillary clinton and donald trump i'm thinking out of 300 million people these are the these are the two that are running for president right you know, as far as I was concerned, and I mean, I don't want to get too political, but you asked me, you know, Hillary Clinton already had her time in office. <laughs> That's the way I see that. I'm just saying, you know, just come on. Yeah. Come on. She and Bill were married. Bill was the president. Right. She had her time in office. Yeah. Uh, you can't tell me that she didn't influence at least some of his decisions. They're married. Come on. And then Donald Trump, he was a businessman. Yeah. I'm like, <clears throat> I get why some people were on the Trump bandwagon, because if he can be successful with the business, that must parlay into being better for our economic health as a country. Okay. So now I'm going to back up a little bit. I'm not a Republican and I'm not a Democrat. I'm a dyed in the wool libertarian. Okay. And what I say by that is I usually ask people if they even understand what a libertarian is. As far as my definition, uh, I'll put it like this. The government needs to stay out of my life. Don't bother me unless I'm bothering someone else. You know, nobody should be affecting my life unless I'm negatively affecting others. As long as I'm minding my business, the government doesn't need to have any business knowing anything about my business right that's libertarianism to me but it has two sides although i want this complete liberty to do whatever i want as long as i'm not hurting others i also have to be held accountable 100 so for instance i ride a motorcycle i don't think the government needs to do this legal paternalism of telling me i need to wear a helmet right i'm gonna be 54 next month i think i can determine if I want to wear a helmet, and sometimes I do, even in states that don't require it, because maybe it's inclement weather, it's raining, there's a storm, yeah, I'm going to put my helmet on, you know, or there's a lot of traffic in an area, I'm going to be through rush hour, even if the state doesn't require it, I'm probably going to put my helmet on during rush hour. Yeah. 
but don't tell me I have to wear a helmet every time I ride my motorcycle. Right. You know, don't tell me I have to put insurance on my car, but if I don't have insurance on my car and I cause damage to you, I need to be held 100% accountable for that. Right. That's a libertarian. It's not just freedom, freedom, freedom. It's responsibility too. Right. So now that I've made that clear, I'm a libertarian. So now you, this is not a Democrat or a Republican speaking. Sure. Uh, what did I think well, some, of Trump? Some, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So what did I think of Trump? <clears throat> I think he was not qualified for office. And I know some people are going to hate hearing that. But a businessman does, does not make you qualified for office. Period. Okay. I thought to myself, I should run for president. And <laughs> anybody who cares to can Google this and find out. I did decide and was taking action toward running for president when I came back from Budapest and found out that it was Trump and Clinton running. I got on Facebook and I'm sure it's still out there because I made it public and I never took it down. And I got on Facebook Live and I recorded myself right away. I not right not at the airport when I got back to here to LA. Right. And I literally went through every single thing on Facebook Live, live feed, every single thing that I've ever done wrong in my life. From pulling wow. little girls' hair in third grade, you name it. I'm not I'm not joking. I went through and everything I could think of, I didn't leave one thing out. And along that, I, I made some apologies to people right there live that I had never really apologized to. But I figured if I'm going to run for president, people are going to look into me. They're going to want to figure out who I am. And somebody's going to want to dig up some dirt. And I was going to be able to answer back. Yeah, well, I already put that dirt out there. You know, take the wind out of the sail. So I started really looking into what I needed to do to get onto the right end ballots. I think it was 32 or 34 states, something like that, allowed right end ballots but I was actually too late. Hmm. So by the time I decided I was going to run for president on the right end ballot, I figured I would do this grassroots movement. I know you didn't know this ahead of time before you asked me this question. No, no. You know, I was going to do this grassroots movement because I know a lot of freaking people. I figured if I put it out to everyone I know that I'm running, they know who I am. They know my character. They know I'm not some Joe Schmo that's going to screw up the country. I'm not saying Clinton or Trump was going to screw it up. I'm saying my friends knew I would not be out to screw up the country. You know, I'm not uh, corrupt. And again, I'm not saying anything about the two of them with that, just that I'm not corrupt. I don't know if they are or not, but I'm not, right. you know, so. But, but the better? issue that you had with Trump, I'm, I'm not hearing anything about racism. I'm not hearing anything about. So the typical stuff I was hearing on the campuses when I was teaching during that time was that tr Trump was racist. He was going to round up the Muslims and put them in concentration camps. And I, I was just like, there, there was some crazy stuff happening in LA too. Like yeah. people were blocking traffic yeah. when he got elected. And I so, was like, well, LA is a Democrat city. What are you blocking other Democrats from getting to work for? Yeah. I mean, what is that? It doesn't even make any sense. Like as a, as an, as a response to right you know, being afraid of the border wall or something. Yeah. Anyway, so that's what I dealt with. I, I don't know. I mean, did Trump ever make any racist comment, a flat out racist comment? 
not that I heard, but whenever I asked somebody, give me an example, they either gave such a partial quote that it wasn't really a quote, or they gave a paraphrase of something he said, and I always wanted to know what it was that he said. And it was always like kind of assumed that everybody knew what everybody was talking about. And okay. I was like, when enough people are doing that, you, you, you kind of like, cause I was teaching at Cal state in Los Angeles okay. and, and they all, not all, but the, the perception was that everybody hates Trump. Okay. And I was just asking, well, what did he say again, exactly? And, and um, there wasn't a lot of critical thinking about what he exactly said, but, okay. you know. So I was not pro-Trump, but I didn't hate Trump because I don't usually hate anybody. But here's the thing that yeah. I thought. I thought the guy probably, sh not even probably, he should have given a lot more thought to things he was tweeting. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. He, and, he how often, someone, and how often, yeah, too. Yeah. yeah. He should have had someone filtering oh, what yeah. he was putting out on tweet. You know, I never used Twitter, but whatever. No. Or but what do you put on Twitter? It's junk. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's I mean, he got himself banned on social media and stuff. This is yeah, what he, I think. He was and, not a politician. And he, I think that's what people liked about it. But also, politicians are very careful about what they say typically True. and so True. i actually wanted to run for state assembly here in california too so i get that too let me go um, back to something else you said earlier you said uh, what a being can, a can you hold that thought though sure can you hold that thought yeah yeah okay because i want to say something that i know is going to be very controversial um, controversy is not allowed here okay <laughs> <laughs> i i think you can say whatever you want I think that Trump, and again, I'm not a pro-Trump, not Trump supporter, sure. but I think he actually helped the country in some ways. And I say that in particular with like the Me Too movement, for instance, I feel like, right. I feel like because Trump was in office, and said and some things like grabbing a woman's pussy. I don't remember exactly what the comment because I don't watch the news, but something about grabbing a pussy or something like that. Sounds about right. Yeah. I you think know, that's what he said. Yeah. Yeah. So something like that. I think because he was in office or at the time, I think he was just running for office when he said it. That's but right. either way, I think yeah. I think because that person that made that comment ended up the president of the United States allowed all these issues to really come to surface to be addressed. I don't know if the Me Too movement, which I think was actually a good thing to a point. I mean, there's probably some people just got accused of stuff that it didn't happen, but whatever. I think as a as, 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 as in the big picture, Me Too was a good thing. If there was a casting couch, you all heard jokes about the casting couch in Hollywood. You know, if, if women were being subjected to being forced to have sex to get positions in a movie that's not sure. good yeah you know that's just not good yeah. so if if this stuff comes to the surface and came to the surface because of him and the things he said or his actions or whatever then i think that's what i mean by or i don't think i know that's what i mean by 
he helped the country in some ways. You know, uh, foreign policy, I mean, I only heard this and that little bits, but right. I mean, I know there was some stuff directed toward Muslims. Only thing I can say is the same thing I said earlier about police officers and in any group and any group of anybody. Uh, when I talked about Germans, even there, there are good and bad in every group. And usually the bad in any group are a very small percentage of that group. Right. So I think anybody who's looking at Muslims at a whole and saying they're bad, they're, they're far off the mark. There are some radical groups and those radical groups need to be controlled or you know, eradicated because they are doing harm to people, you know, outside of themselves. Right. So as a libertarian, I'm going to say, oh, yeah, do what you want until you're causing harm to others. So, yeah, I mean, you've blown up buildings or killing people. That's not good. Right. But we and can't when you say, say when you say causing harm, I think that's what people get caught up on, on that definition of. So if, if someone's listening to this and they think I might be a libertarian, um, the whole idea of the government should leave me alone unless I'm bothering somebody else. Is that what I now said? That, bothering? Um, something like that. Did you want to okay. say it? Did you, did you want to say it differently? Well, I could have said bothering, but I really meant like, like, this harming? is what I mean. If harming? I said that, what's that? You mean harming someone? Harming. Yeah. Okay. Well, so say, what if someone says, but you're harming me having a gun because that harms me because I'm afraid. It makes me afraid. I, you know, it makes me feel like I'm in the wild west. And I don't you know want to say be that in the person? wild west. Yeah, yeah. You know what we'll I say just, to them? Okay. We'll just People, places, and things can only affect you emotionally to the amount that you allow them to. So that's not real harm, then. That's not. That's not me harming them. Okay. I'm not harming them because I have a gun. They're making a choice to feel like that because they see my gun. I'm not doing anything to them by me having a gun. Well, and of course, if it's concealed, the whole point of a concealed carry is so that they don't see it, right? Well, there so you they go. don't I'm have to sure. have that feeling. That's true. And I get into this with some people when I'm in uh, Washington in particular, because that's where I'm from. And I'm still in Washington once or twice a month. Mm -hmm. uh, when I'm in Washington, I generally open carry, even though I have a concealed permit there. Because then I can still get an on and off motorcycle. I keep a, a bike or two up there too. But, you know, I generally open carry. I know that makes some people uncomfortable. That's their problem, not mine. Okay. However, I am considerate. If I'm going to your house, I will ask you, how do you feel about me having my firearm at your house? What if I said, that causes me harm? <laughs> whatever your reason okay if you don't want my firearm in your house i won't take it in your house gotcha okay whether i agree with your reason or not that's your home so, so i do ask people before i go into their home with my firearm if i think that, that they might be on that side you know so you're very considerate of private property uh sure. what including like a store if you go into a store no you give... no, no 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 i'm talking about your home Oh, okay. What's the difference between private property store or restaurant or yeah. Well, I mean, private property business uh, open to the public and a home. 
okay, well, because it was your words that you said, I'm very, you know, considerate of private property. Right. <laughs> I'm right. very considerate of residences. Residences. Okay. Right. If, for instance, uh, I look at some of the laws in some states, they say that those signs, I think in Nevada in particular, a yeah. sign that says no firearms carries no legal weight. Okay. Okay. So you can put up a sign, 50 signs on your front door that say no firearms allowed. If I know that my firearm is allowed, I may conceal it because I have a Utah permit that covers me for Nevada. I may conceal it when I walk in, but I'm not going to not have it because okay. your sign doesn't mean diddly squat in the law. Gotcha. If I'm in Arizona, I know that the law changed in Arizona recently where you can carry your firearm into a bar from my reading of it, unless they have a sign that says you cannot. So if they have a sign that says I cannot, now I'm not going to because that sign has legal force behind it, you know? So no, I, I heard something about Walmart and I'm not going to try to single them out because I don't know exactly what the deal is. I heard something to the effect of Walmart's not good with people open carrying in their store. Gotcha. Uh, if that's the truth, whatever, you know, if it's not the law, I, I really don't care. But again, but when, when it comes to public places, that's where there's got to be a real harm before they constrain your liberty. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. If okay. I am yeah. brandishing my firearm, I can see that being a harm because if I'm brandishing, if I pull it out, start waving it around, right? That by definition, I'm a lawyer, that by definition in most states is assault, an imminent apprehension of, of, of bodily harm, you know? Okay. So now I'm causing assault. Yeah, that's been codified as law. That's, that's illegal. And that's so really a harm is what you're saying. So it's yeah, a legit, that's, legitimate exactly. crime. Okay. So, you know, it, lawyers use what's called the reasonable person standard. Yeah, I've you know? heard of that. So. Yeah. So if you're going to give me some hoopla, not you, but a person is going <laughs> to give me some hoopla about the harm they're experiencing because they see me walking down the street with a firearm. I'm not even paying attention to that because that doesn't meet the reasonable standard person, you yeah. know, reasonable standard, you know, the, the, the reasonable person standard, excuse me, that's what I meant. Right. So if society as the majority of society feels like, Hey, that's unreasonable that you're walking around with your firearm. Well, then now we're going to make a law about that because it's reasonable. Enough people believe that that's a harm. But the random person who lives in Washington State, for instance, that's talking about, and I'm just use Karen. Her name's Karen, right? <laughs> we all know about Karen. So if, if Karen has a problem with it, then Karen has a problem. That's Karen's gotcha. problem. The law yeah. already says I can carry it, you know, and uh, do you I think, think that uh, reasonable person, do you think that a robust protection of second amendment right to self-defense the way it should be, the way the court should decide, do you think that um, that's ultimately quite reasonable? That, well, let me back. I guess up what I'm sure asking I is, I guess another, maybe I, maybe I'm not asking it clear enough. Um, let me, let me rephrase it. Um, do you think that the majority of people like can take away your second amendment rights legitimately, like by just voting on it? Well, it's not going to come to a vote. 
it's the it's the Supreme Court that's going to rule on something we already have. We already have that constitutional right called the Second Amendment. Well, but three of those judiciary. people, three about three of those people are only on there because Trump put them on, and sure. because you true. know Republican Senate voted on it. True. Yeah, true. Um, that's very true. That's what I mean uh, by. It's yeah, it's I guess what I mean, the majority of people, majority uh, filtered through the Electoral College and filtered through. Yeah, but the Electoral College doesn't have anything to do with the Supreme Court, huh? I mean, I guess inadvertently, right? It has a lot to do with with who gets who gets nominated. Sure, sure. But that's only if because they serve for life. That's only if somebody happens to die while that person's in office. Well, if there was a direct election of the president, let's just say that there there was a vote. There was a poll that you could actually take, and it said 52% of people want to take your away your uh, 52% of the, uh, and it was a legitimate poll that said 52% think it's, it's, it causes them harm just knowing there's guns in public. Would, would you think that's enough to, to take away your right to self-defense? No. And the reason I say no is I'm going to back this up with some paraphrasing of of how the united states works legally the legal system to take away the second amendment right i believe would you would have to get rid of that entire amendment so that's kind of amending the constitution okay and i don't believe that a 52 percent vote is enough to amend the constitution uh, somebody can look that up and call me on it if I'm wrong, but I think it takes more than that. It's very hard to even get an amendment into the Constitution. We've never even taken an amendment out that I know of. Do you? We had one that was uh, was revoked, which is the prohibition. Uh, the 18th Amendment was revoked. Okay. Okay. So there you're goes. right. It, it's still in there, but it just was superseded by uh by the one that revoked it i think the 20th amendment so what does that take do you know what does it take to yeah revoke an amendment takes uh two-thirds of the congress to that's what i thought to to uh propose and then three-fourths of the state legislatures have to ratify there you go that's a lot so so that's a lot more than 52 percent. that's true yeah well i guess uh i kind of uh, took a lot of your time today. <laughs> we, we, we thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and, uh, we're so grateful. We know your time is valuable as an attorney. Um, and, uh, you're such an interesting guy. It's so great Thanks. to talk to a second amendment advocate who's thought carefully about this, who went to law school as an older gentleman, and has uh, the the weight of experience behind you going into law school, and now you're you're fighting for your rights as well as other people. It's really cool. Yeah, you know, thank you. And you know, I'm going to say something about that. Now you got me thinking about something I haven't thought about in a long time. But you know, you brought up we brought up we talked about race a little bit. We've talked about law school stuff like that. You know, the evening program I took at Loyola. I got to tell you, I taught at Loyola for over a decade at the undergraduate oh, did you? college. Yeah. Oh, at LMU. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When I got to the evening program at Loyola Law, I was the only black male in the entire program. 
out of how many people? There were, I think, I want to say between 34 and 40 when we first started, maybe a few more when we first started, but it whittled away kind of quickly. But I think we ended up with about 32 or something at the end. Uh, so it had to be closer to 40, I think, when we first started. But I looked around and uh, it was about half female, half male. And all races, ethnicities, whatever you want to call, were represented, at least by, like, in my case, one African-American male. And I looked around and I thought, I can't fail. Because if I fail, there'll be zero. And for me, it wasn't that I needed to be a lawyer for black people, but I need to at least represent some part of society there are black men in society. If you look at the demographic of lawyers, there are very few black male lawyers. And like, if I failed out, there just, there wouldn't be me, hmm. you know? And I come at things with a, a slightly different perspective than the next guy, whether he be black, white, orange, purple, whatever. Right. I've got a different perspective than everybody else on the planet. So I feel like, I'm happy to represent my thoughts to the public. I was so happy that you asked me to do this because I do believe in the second amendment. And I, I hope that people are able to watch or listen to this and maybe take away something that they didn't know already, whether they're pro or against the second amendment, maybe something that we talked about will yeah. help them. I mean, there's still yeah, a couple absolutely. of things I've, you know, yeah. there's a couple of things I want to say real quickly. Uh, sure. One is, if you happen to be like me, you're pro-Second Amendment, you concealed carry with a license or in a state where you don't need a license, or you open carry because you live in a state that's open carry, there's so much that goes into the thought process yeah. that you need to be thinking about. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you use your weapon in self-defense, you are still going to jail. It's not like they're going to show up and go, oh, Bob, Peter, what? Oh, yeah, self-defense, no problem. Have a good night. Here, here's your weapon. You know, they're going to confiscate that weapon for evidence. They're going to lock you up until they figure out something. You know, you, you probably make bail, whatever. But in, in the end, as long as it was justified, self-defense, you'll be fine. But there's Let's a take process. Me, for instance. Yeah, There's I own a, a law firm. I don't want to be sitting in jail for a, a, a week or a day. Even. No kidding. You know what I mean? No kidding. Yeah. You know, no I don't kidding. want if I if I got court tomorrow and I get arrested today, guess yeah. what? I'm not showing up at court tomorrow. Right. You know, my one free call, I think it's still one free call in jail, isn't going to be to my client to say, hey, sorry, get another lawyer for tomorrow morning Jeez. for your 830 court. Yeah. You know? You know, one of the trainings I went through recently was a scenario. I was uh, listening to this guy talk on a video for the USCCA, and he talked about the situation that happened. Concealed carry, legally armed American citizen, walks into, and I think it was a 7-Eleven or some kind of convenience store, whatever, sees a guy standing there with a shotgun pointed at the guy behind the counter. The guy behind the counter has got his hands up like this. 
the legally armed citizen draws his weapon, shoots the guy with the shotgun. Turns out the guy with the shotgun was the store owner. The guy behind the counter is the bad guy who just killed the clerk behind the counter. So something I just want to put out there is if you decide in a split second to use your firearm in defense of another, you better be 100% damn well sure you know exactly what the situation is. Yeah. You know? And does that come with training? It did. Because that was something I didn't even think about before that. Okay. You know, I remember becoming aware of the different options and the different situational awareness situations. Yeah. When I got my CCW, the chief of police, but before he signed off on it, he told me, he says, I think he said he's only had to unholster his weapon. He said twice in 18, either 18 or 28 years. Twice, I think he said he had to unholster his weapon when he was off duty. And uh, he was reluctant to be pulling off his weapon in defense of others because you you really don't know what's going on. Yeah. You know, he, in his situation, he said the guy might've been on the other side of the counter because that's where the cash register was. And he wanted the cash. Yeah. But you don't know. That's right. You don't know when you just walk in based on two seconds. You don't know. Yeah. Unless you know the people that own the place. Sure. Unless you know who they are. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, uh, it made me really think because I always thought, I mean, even on my just call statement, I've, you know, I put self-defense in defense of others, but that might really get narrowed down to self-defense, not so much defense of others. Makes and uh, and I took one of my neighbors out for her first time at the range just the other day. And she was saying something about, well, we have a duty, you know, we see a woman getting raped or something. We have a duty to help her. I'm like, actually we don't not according to the law. No, we're not police no officers. We don't have a, a duty to rescue anybody. No, you know, and that was a shocker in law school that you could see somebody in a pool drowning. You don't have a duty to reach in and, and grab no. them. You might feel morally like you do, but legally you don't have a duty to, to right. unless it's your kid, your kid, you got to pull them out of the pool. You know, hmm. you own the pool, you're a lifeguard or something. You know, now you have a duty, you know, right. The innkeeper has a duty if they, you know, if they own the hotel and they see you drowning in their pool. But uh, right. yeah, it's, the law is a tricky thing. People really need to make themselves aware. Um, what I could say is get training, get training, using the firearm, getting training about when you can and cannot use a firearm legally, get training about what constitutes self-defense. What about what type well, of firearm? Do you, do you revolver versus semi-auto? I use how do you both. Work, how do you work through that? Well, I realize that a revolver probably has less likelihood of a malfunction. Not that they can't malfunction, but probably less likelihood. Uh, I carry my everyday carry in California is a Smith and Wesson M and P shield 40. It's small enough that I feel like I can conceal it everywhere. I mean, I got it right here. Yeah. That's a, that's a snappy gun. Yeah. I don't know if you see it. It's kind of my, my background on zoom kind of makes things disappear. If you but hold this, it closer to your closer, hold it closer to your face. There you go. There we go. There, there we go. go. Yeah. So that's the, Pretty this small. is that, uh, yeah, this is Pretty that snappy. Where Four, I was 40 talking ca- about the 40 uh, caliber is pretty snappy. Yeah. I'm going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. I see go. it. 
So I got to push that to get it I out. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. You know? So put your, put your hand over it just to see if it covers the whole thing. Yeah, see, that's how small it is. I mean, yeah. you might have big hands, but. Anyway, but you got a bunch of holsters here. So, and I didn't set these up just because I was getting on Zoom with you. Right. They're always right. within reach. So, <laughs> I told you I'm armed all the time. So, yeah, I just yeah, lean yeah. over to the firearm, but. You're a you know, believer. this one is neoprene and I use it inner waistband. I can use it just in shorts. You know, when I'm just wow. shorts and a t-shirt, it's really thin. Got a little clip on the back. I like that one a lot. Depends on what I'm wearing. You know, what I'm yeah. wearing will determine what holster I'm going to use. I've got right. another one right here. Now, this one, just the firearm snaps into it yep i've seen those but it doesn't uh i mean anybody could walk up and grab my firearm out of it right the kydex which is why yeah. i use it for concealed you know it, it contours to my body yeah yeah right. it's the outer waistband one. Oh, outer the, okay gotcha yeah the weight the uh, belt goes through there but it does clip into it with a definite detent yep gotcha you know yep so you have to actually target so i right. use that uh i used to use it more when i was in washington state when i was riding my motorcycle because i didn't want it to fall out everybody that's listening on audio and can't see it you're missing out but okay yeah, <laughs> go to so the youtube version <laughs> yeah there's my inner waistband my outer waistband and my open carry holsters so yeah i like this mp shield a lot but as far as revolver uh I can I, can I put you on hold really quick? Hold sure, on one second. Sure. All right, we're back. Uh, so Sorry. I just want to say with my revolver, it's a uh, Colt Python six shooter with a six inch barrel. <laughs> wow. And uh, I love it. I mean, that's the, that's old, that's a awesome freaking weapon. It really is. It's, it's a newer awesome one. Freaking weapon. Yep. Brand new. I just bought that's it a couple awesome. months ago. That's yeah. Awesome. And uh, you know, that's, that's a quite a weapon right there, but, but anyway, I know you got to go. You, you can uh, seal carry your Colt Python. I cannot conceal carry. It's so damn big. Yeah. You know, it's way too big to conceal. But I was going to uh, use it on Oatman, Arizona at the bike rally, the motorcycle rally a couple weeks or, yeah, wow. two weeks ago because I walk around open carry. But I ended up just open carrying my, my Smith & all, all the biker I've, people are going to be so upset that I didn't ask you what kind of Harley you have. I've got a bunch of them. i got a Street Glide Special 2019. I just passed 80,000 miles on, so I ride a lot. Uh, Harley told me they only know one person rides more than me. I've got a Harley Breakout, the 2018. Both of them have 117 stage four, you know, Screaming Eagle. I know some people don't like Screaming Eagle, but whatever. I've got a Thunder Mountain, which was the only company authorized by Harley to ever make choppers. So it's a custom chopper, 2008. Wow. Uh, I just That's sold cool. my 72. Uh, it was a one of a kind. It was a really, really special wow. bike, but a woman saw it and had to have it. So I let her buy it. And I just, Oh, I've got a Honda Rebel I'm using to teach uh, on. And then that's it. I've sold all my others. I had sport bikes, too. I had uh, Turbo Hayabusa out in Germany on the Autobahn. I shipped it wow. over to me and myself. Yeah, wow. 225 mile an hour top speed. That was incredible. No wow. speed limit over there. Yeah, wow. we can talk about that on another one. <laughs> you can't get Nothing like having Turbo Hayabusa. Fastest bike in the world. No speed limit. Well, we really appreciate you you coming on. I, I had a blast. 
No problem. Anytime. If you want to do it again, we can elaborate on more stuff. You Absolutely. Uh, Next we time I have make you sure come on regularly. <laughs> good. I'll have it on my calendar. Like today, like I said, I'm just cool. so busy. I've just spaced it. Thank you, Mr. Maverick Stevenson, That's Esquire. Me. Hey, can I plug my law firm? Please do. It's the law offices of Maverick Langford Stevenson Esquire. Maverick's got a Y in it, M-A-V-E-R-Y-C-K. Law firm is W or the website, www.mavlaw911.com. Uh, they can get me at mavlaw for hire at gmail.com or 424-281-7233. They need a lawyer. Awesome. I'm their man. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good one. You too.